And welcome back to Post Game Content. We're back after a little bit of an extended between because of the Labor Day, but I think everyone's. I'd call it a summer vacation. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going down between my life and your life that. Honestly, I'm actually just surprised we were able to still get together and do this at all with all the the recent up and comings and goings of between our yeah, two. Yeah, you know what? Families. Be grateful for the episode you do have. Okay. <laughs> it's one th- one thing we're all we're all we all need to be thankful for is that you're getting post game content at all. God, you so coming out of the gate hot on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we're doing Last of Us 2 or something. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, that being said, uh, let's just jump right into this. Max, how you doing, man? Like, I legitimately, I, like I said, I wasn't just joking around. We've been swamped lately. Like, both of our lives have, like, just tons of stuff's going on. So how are you handling the ups and downs of, of uh, the Zengline household? You know, man, it, it's been a lot. So we just moved into a new apartment not too long ago. And moving makes you realize, one, how much stuff you own. Um, so getting everything out of your old place and into your new place is a huge pain in the ass. And then True. once you move into a new place, like we got a little bit more square footage, um, you realize how little shit you own. So we've also had to buy like a whole bunch of new stuff and set all that <laughs> up and like... If I read one more Ikea, like, manual, I think I'm going to kill myself. Well, the good news for you, there's very little wording on them, so... That's true. (laughs) I appreciate. As a (laughs) semi-literate, I really appreciate that. Well, that's... How are you uh, doing? uh, Well, I'm okay. There's just a lot (laughs) of uh, things I'm not going to discuss in the podcast going on at my family, but uh, it's keeping, keeping us relatively busy. Um, for sure but it's uh it's okay positive outlooks positive vibes we'll get we'll get through it luckily i've still had time to sink my teeth into some video games um which has been a a welcome distraction as of late but um i have trekked a little bit further into the outer wilds you'll be glad to hear that Um, oh thank god i feel like i'm coming up on the end of it because things are actually really starting to make sense um, mm-hmm. so I've, and I've heard that like when you start to grasp the whole story, that's when it kind of blossoms into a good ending. Um, yeah, I think so. that's a, that's a good way to describe it. And, and eventually God willing, we'll do an episode on it. I'm knocking on every piece of wood that's in this room right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it cause I've been enjoying it thus far. Um, but other than that, I've just been delving into, um, the multiple jobs that I have just to. Just a couple, just a couple shout-outs just because I know we're both both a bunch of Souls players. I know Max knows this, but I'll give a shout-out to the to the company. I'm I've been working for Tune and Fairweather. They are the proprietor and creator of the Soul Arts uh, book. That if you are a fan of the show, likely you've heard of Vati Vidya. Uh, we worked hand in hand with Vati Vidya to to bring that out, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Um, right now, we're in the process of putting together uh, the Abyssal Archive which we're working with Loki to put together. Uh, it's actually like a, it's an unofficial lore book. Uh, before that, they worked on You Died. Um, so I've been working hand in hand with them. I'm not working on like design or anything. I'm more on like back end with like shipping manifest, customer service, things of that nature. But Jason and I have been in like constant communication. He was the author of You Died. It's been really cool, really, really cool opportunity. Um, so if you're a big Souls fan. And if you've never fan, heard of, 
Yeah. If you've never heard of Tune and Fairweather, um, the products they put together, they really, really emphasize like a high production value. Um, I have the You Die, the, their first Souls book they put together, and it's this really, really nice, like, uh, hardbound edition. Um, it feels like something more than just like video game paraphernalia. It feels like an actual, like a, a display piece. I have it sitting on my bookshelf downstairs. Yeah, for any of you book nerds out there, and uh, Max is 100% right, <laughs> if if you're a book nerd and not a video game nerd or, like, into soul stuff, you've likely heard of, like, the Folio Society or something like mm. that. They have, like, that quality, if not better, of, the like, the books that they bring out. So it's been cool to be a part of that. That's been eating up some of my time, too. So just a couple of the things that I've been involved in. Uh, but Max, before... I'm going to tell everyone the story. Before we jump into our game... Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to do a shout out and it's going to lead into a, uh, a, a story. So first off, um, I know you guys caught it at the beginning of the last episode. We have our web store that is finally live. So 13 palmtrees.myshopify.com. We've got like, uh, cover art shirts for like all the shows we do. Some, uh, our Elden Ring insults line. We'll eventually probably have a Max's pro gamer tips, uh, shirt when, when that category <laughs> eventually fills out. Uh, we got our talking heads line with our logo. Um, and we have our stickers of our talking heads faces. And that's the story I want to tell. So the other day, uh, I have my phone linked up to the Shopify store. So if we get any orders, I can make sure I jump on those. And I get an order for just four t-shirts with Max's face on it. And God help this person, 11 stickers of Max's head. <laughs> and I am, I am losing it. I don't even have the wherewithal to click on the link to like look at what it is or anything. I'm just losing it. Like who is so obsessed with Max that they would do this? And I was thinking like, is Kat like playing a joke on you? That's uh, Max's fiance. Um, is, is it just one of his friends or someone like that? No, it's Max's best friend. Max's mom. God help Barbara. I love her. <laughs> Shout out to Barb. <laughs> uh, <coughs> Can I tell you, uh, the other day I, was, I was, had a FaceTime with my family and I was just like showing them the new place. And so I was on with my dad and my sister and my mom. And when they got online, all three of them had T-shirts with my face on. Them. Oh my God! Yes, <laughs> they were all wearing the PGC shirts. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> uh, well, if that's not a glowing was... endorsement for how wonderful that merch line is and the amazing yeah. uses you can get out of it. There uh, you go. You control Max. It's <laughs> uh, funny because, like Nate, uh, my brother Daniel. Most of you listening probably know him from one of the other shows that we do. He has a water bottle that has Max and Mai's head on it. <laughs> Brittany's water bottle has Max's and Mai's head on it. Uh, so get yours today. <laughs> but no, I just thought thought that was great. I, I still laugh when I think about that. Just the uh, that was she like cleaned out like a fourth of our stock of Max's head stickers <laughs> in one order. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's very on brand. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, anyway, so, um, Max, I know of all the other games that we've talked about, most of the stuff that we've talked about has been relatively recent. Um, God of War being, quote-unquote, the oldest, but it just recently had a PC release that you and I played through. Um, 
let's just jump into this. Today we're talking about a PS2 classic that's been, it was remade on the PS3, remade on the PS4. Um, it'll probably get another couple remakes just because of how renowned this, uh, this title is. We're talking about Shadow of the Colossus. Yes, so. sir. That's crazy to think about. I didn't realize that God of War was the oldest game that we've talked about so far. Yeah, unless I'm, unless I'm mistaken. I mean, no, I mean, no, I think, no, yeah, it was, because it came out in 2018. Sekiro was 2019. Yes, so, sir. So, yeah. Um, I, think it, I think it's fitting to talk about this one, throwing in, I want to, you know, because this, this will be our seventh episode, and letting people know, like, hey, we're not just going to focus on these, these newer, more modern titles and um, showing people that we have a little bit of depth. Not that Shadow of the Colossus is, like, retro by any means, but um, still going no, to show not. our age a little bit. But I do think this is a good one to cover because I think this game is in conversation and was hugely uh, influential on a lot of the games that we've covered up until this point. And we'll get into that, like, directly a little bit later but you know it's such a landmark moment for a lot of the things that we really revere and and talk about a lot on this show um for what we appreciate in video games so i think it's a good one to just sort of establish a baseline of um where a lot of those themes and mechanics came from hmm, i agree yeah I, and i think that'll be uh, the more i thought about this whenever and I finished this playthrough up. It's been like a week and a half, two weeks now. Um, and just kind of ruminating over some of the wiki pages that I was reading about it and some of uh, the secrets of the game and just reminiscing on, you know, my feelings about the game. Um, I had some, like, gripes, but I think it's just because I was coming at this game for likely, like, the sixth or seventh time in, in the career of me playing it. And so I have some feelings. Um, I have some things I want to complain about. So don't don't hate me, purists. I'll, I'll promise <laughs> I have a reason for <laughs> for the for the things I'm about to say. But uh, yeah, let's just kind of jump into the the kind of the structure of this game. And I think the best way to approach talking about Shadow of the Colossus is going to be um, focusing on the intentional narrative that this game yeah. is trying to tell because it's not it's if you just tell the quote unquote story of this game you could sum it up in probably five or six sentences and that's what makes the game so beautiful can i just really quickly like i'll i'll just tell the narrative really yeah. really fast go for okay. it um so you're a little dude running around all right let's talk about the gameplay yeah that's uh that, there you go uh, you know what that's the episode guys have a good yeah. <laughs> have a good day <laughs> um I think just just to kind of jump right into this, I think my favorite thing about this game obviously is the story that it's trying to tell and mm -hmm. you know the symbolism behind the story. But the best part about the the story in this game is by far the presentation in which it's told. And even the opening scene does it just foreshadows what what's to come throughout the entire game. So the opening scene to this game is you're you're going across these sprawling landscapes. You're this kind of mysterious person that's on a horse and you're carrying this body with you. And you get the vibe as you're moving through this that you've been going for days, weeks, if not like months, just traveling across this like completely desolate and deserted landscape of just various different um, like climates and temperatures yeah. to eventually arrive at this temple 
and like I said, the reason I like this is because there is no central focus other than your person, the horse they're on, and the lands around them. There's not other characters in the game. There's not an ov- overly like crowded area in which you're traveling, and it's focusing on these massive landscapes uh, that are just all around you, and that's very telling for what's coming because that's quite literally the point of this game is <laughs> and how it how it plays. So. Yeah, I the the presentation of this game I think is an exercise in minimalism in stripping down a story to the fewest elements possible um, and letting the player themselves do the majority of the interpretive work that's happening. Um, I want to pick up on something that you just said, even in that opening cutscene where you said you kind of get the vibe that your character's been traveling for a really long time. Like, none of that is in the actual narrative. It's not even really implied. It's something that you're bringing to, to the work. To, the, to that opening scene. Um, I think the player does a lot to add to the narrative that they might not even realize that they're doing, which is why even details like the relationship that a wander, our main character, has to the girl that he brings to the temple is never stated. She's important to him, but that's as far as it goes. Everything else, the kind of implications or, or assumptions that you've made about that, that's all what you're bringing to it. And I think that's something that Shadow of the Colossus does that's sort of special in, the, in most modern games that are, you know, generally, I think, very concerned about their player base missing something and have to hit them over the head with it. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I think that that's like one of the main, well, main sticking points of this game because it goes beyond just the, the intentional narrative right there at the, the beginning. It's, it's definitely very well implied there like you said with the relationship and even even beyond but excuse me once you even you know just to advance the narrative a little bit after your character gets into uh the temple and comes and lays this body that he's carrying down of this this woman onto this altar and then makes like a a proclamation and demands the presence of this god door dorman dorman is that how you pronounce it doorman Door, door man. <laughs> it's Hodor. <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> it's Hodor. Uh, <laughs> he's the doorman. Um, but yeah, door, doorman. It's some essentially some deity that is effectively a giant hole in the temple with light shining down inside <laughs> of it. But that's another thing about this game is that the who Dorman is, is not really, it's not important if you really think about it. It really is not at all. It's, he's just a means to an end. And it's another piece of showing how the narrative is heavily implied by the player because not until the very end, and not that it necessarily matters, but not till the very end is it even revealed what he is or, and even then it's still up to the player to determine if the people who, come to the temple or you know we'll get into that i'm sorry i'm I'm jumping ahead of myself yeah yeah. um but essentially your player uh wander try attempts to bargain with the god demanding or pleading that he bring his loved one uh back to life Mm -hmm. and he declines and gives him an ultimatum and says you know you 
you either leave or you can do what I'm asking in order to bring her back, which is to travel the land and kill the Colossi that are there. And I'll bring her back. And that's the objective of this game. There is no alternative objective. There is, it's kind of like we talked about with Metroid, kind of like we talked about with God of War. There is one objective throughout the entirety of the game and you stick to that objective. And the only time the objective is reiterated to you is whenever you need the next step. You kill a Colossus. Mm -hmm. Other than that, there's absolutely no narrative outside of Wander yelling to Aggro to get him to come to him. So, Yeah, that's the only story beat that we'll see until the end of the game. Um, and I think part of that simplicity is what makes this game, even though it is kind of like an artsy sort of lofty game, um, it's really easy like on a concrete level to get your head around, um, which I think makes it pretty accessible, even if you don't you know, love video games generally or you find yourself bored having to go through like huge introductory sequences, you know, this is like really easy to get your head around. Like there's a dead girl on the table, kill the things to bring her back. That's it. That's it. For the next eight hours, that's the only narrative you have to keep in mind. Yeah. And I like that. I like that it lends way. And just to go back to how the game is, is left a lot up to the player's interpretation of the plot is once you leave, obviously you have a pretty clear-cut idea of where you're supposed to go. You can use the sword, shine it in the air, and it gives you like a direct beam of where you're supposed to go. But there's nothing that forces you in that direction. The entirety of the world is accessible to you here. And this is a pretty, for Mm -hmm. not being a quote-unquote open-world game, this is a pretty big world um, that just allows you to, to like just roam around it. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever just free roamed in this game and i know arguably like the game is pretty empty but that's the point of like narratively the forbidden lands it's that they are Mm -hmm. not inhabited it is by law you are not able to be there supposed to be there i should say yeah i don't think i've ever like just gone off in the wrong direction from a colossi and just you know seen what's around um and and maybe that is kind of the, like the other side of the coin of the game is very focused and and you know it I think so dedicated to the few mechanics that it has that you know littering the the open world with enemies or making a whole bunch of collectibles to find I think would kind of detract from that experience but um the flip side of that is that there isn't much of an incentive to to get away from your main quest. Yeah, and I think I think that obviously that was intentional in the game design, so like really big kudos mm-hmm. to the developers of this game for for making that the main point. But also just in the sense of who your character is and like how driven Wander is to accomplish his mission by like the yeah. moment you step out of that temple, you don't stop. You can stop. You can go wander quote unquote around and do different things and ride aggro into the sunset if you want to but your character literally doesn't stop and you know like you said we could argue it's an incentive not to do so we can argue that the world's empty but like it just 
by the game not limiting you in that aspect, it's just another connection that it allows you to make to wander and the the situation that he's in. Because if it didn't have that great narratively empty, I shouldn't say empty, I should empty beginning with just the narrative drive of his character and the love it has for the person that he's with, it might have incentivized people whenever they left the temple for the first time to be like, let's go check this world out. But just by that, just yeah. focused introduction, you literally jump on aggro and you're like, let's fucking go. Like you were, <laughs> your character's ready to just tackle these colossi and get the shit done. So I, I think th- that's I think, a good point. I think, I think they yeah. build it up intentionally to do so. True. And I think also, you know, it's hard to put this game in context because there are a lot of games like Breath of the Wild that I think are absolutely influenced by the sort of mood that Shadow of the Colossus set. At the time, nothing like this, which meant players, you know, I don't even know how many people it would have occurred to at the time when they were first playing that you could, you know, wander off the beaten path and just see what was, you know, out there. Um, Mm -hmm. You're given one objective from... You're given one objective from the beginning. And yeah, I think it does kind of help to to pull down the wall a little bit between you and Wander to, to make that connection between player and character stronger by making his singular focus your singular singular focus. For sure. I and I think that like when it comes to like your your character's connection with Wander, they do a great job of like they don't give you a lot of opportunities to like stop and look at your character or like any, anytime the scenes, the camera is very intentional at staying behind him. They want you to like stay focused in as playing who wonder is and not stopping and panning the camera around and looking at him and get the sense that like, he's just this character in a game. They want you to feel like you are this character. And I think they did a great job of portraying that point with how just simple, something as simple as the camera movements in the game. I think that's a, yeah, that's a great point. And something that I've noticed, like when you're riding aggro, without you touching anything, the camera will pan back and up, mm-hmm. making it clear that like your focus is not on your character or what's around him. It is, it is this world that he's in. It's what's, you know, coming up next. Um, he's sort of an insignificant part of this. Um, you know, it's, it's about the world that he finds himself in. Um, you know, which, which only becomes more true the first time you fight against a Colossus where you get a sense of how small you are. Um, one of the things that I think, uh, and we're, I'm jumping a little bit into the, uh, into the next phase of gameplay, um, which is the boss fights. But I think one of the first things you'll notice is that Shadow of the Colossus does an incredible job displaying scale, making the enemies that you fight against feel massive and lumbering and ancient. Um, And your character feels so small and, you know, uncoordinated by by comparison, which feeds into the gameplay in, you know, how how did that work for you on this this playthrough, Michael? So I <laughs> there there's a couple just to kind of touch on that on this playthrough and I I touched on this with Max a little bit before we before we jumped in but this is where I really felt kind of disconnected but at the same time like 
there's a, I feel like it was intentional because, okay, let's just start at the beginning here. In this playthrough of this game, I'll admit it's probably been a good like eight years since I've picked this game up. I've played it so many times before this, but this was, it felt mm-hmm. like a fresh playthrough. Um, also, it was the first time I played through the PS4 version of the game, um, which admittedly looked looked fantastic. Frame rates were, were pretty good, but the, man, could be hard to be worse that, than the PS2. <laughs> that's that's fair <laughs> um so the i think the idea and it comes to like the combat and the bumbliness of his like climbing abilities and you know hanging on and ragdolling across colossi at the the slightest movement i i think that there's some intentional design there with how wonder's not this amazing hero he's not mm-hmm. this knight in this warrior he's just a person who really cares about his loved ones now, riding the horse, this motherfucker just spent months, months <laughs> traversing multiple hundreds of miles of land, or at least to get the sense that he has. This dude can't turn the horse around. Like, it just, it just feels so, so bad. I'm chalking this up <laughs> to just the game design and how maybe the horse would have reacted around these like huge creatures, things like that. Um, and I don't know. It just, it felt very clunky. It felt very aged even for like PS3 slash PS4 standards. It, the way that you control the horse just did not feel like the relationship that they had established between aggro and wander had previously been established. I'm going to offer a, a small counterpoint here in that this game is true to life because horses to a one are assholes. Oh, fair. <laughs> I don't know if you've considered that, but every one of them is a maniacal sociopath uh, intent on killing you. Um, I don't know if I've brought this up on the show before. I hate horses. I don't trust them. Okay. All right. Well, um, <laughs> Max's deep-seated hatred of horses aside, uh, aggro sucks. Yeah, I just really... <laughs> I. I could see that with this particular horse. I mean, I was excited when I thought he was dead. <laughs> I cheered. I put down my controller and clapped. Savage. <laughs> hey, your only regret was the fact that he was the only reason you survived. <laughs> Jeez. Well, there goes half our listener base. Max hates animals. All right. Uh, just, just one in particular. (laughs) Um, as far as like the clunkiness of, like I said, the combat, I I feel like there's, like I said, some excuses there and I like that narrative piece. Uh, the other piece of this game that like, I found myself like in the moment really like frustrated by, but like stepping away from the game and really appreciating was in the combat elements of this game with, let's say like you fall off your, let's say you're climbing the Colossus and you run out of like stamina and you fall off Mm -hmm. and like you get kicked and then wander just like ragdolls across the ground. (laughs) And then he lays there for a good like 15 seconds before he's able to move. straight up knocked out in this. (laughs) He has like, he has a concussion. He has no idea what day it is. Dude, exactly. And the the Colossus is like marching towards you or swimming towards you or flying towards you, whatever it does. And like, you're just like mashing buttons, like get up, you piece of shit. But at the same time, like that's 
I doubt I would be able to move at all. Like, good for this guy. So, like, like I said, in the moment, it sucked, and I was, like, cursing it. But, like, stepping back away from the game again after all these years, I'm going, that's actually, like, really cool. It's not like the Call of Duty. Oh, my God, I just got shot in the neck. I'll just slap this ointment on it, and I'll I'll be fine. We can't all be Ethan Winters over here. (laughs) And I think... Oh, my God. Um, You know... Game mechanics like that are really risky, right? Because those do cut into your enjoyment of the game in the moment. But they help to create a more cohesive experience. It's, you know, I, I think it's really brave when, when people put in mechanics that are intentionally frustrating or difficult. Um, you know, is it, would it be possible and, like, it would be more fun to play Shadow of Colossus if... Wander had tighter controls. If it, you know, you could Super Mario 64 this shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> probably. But the game would be worse for it, I think. Um, even if you don't recognize the kind of comparisons and contrast that are being drawn between, you know, the the sort of floppiness and rubberiness to Wander's movements as compared to the sure-footed, steady. Um, footsteps of the colossi that he's facing you know that that comparison is being drawn in your brain and even on a subconscious level it's not hard to see who's in control of the situation at any given moment yeah for sure that's a that's actually a really good point and i actually really like how you how you phrase that because it reminds me of how like especially in this game whenever you're faced with these like these little puzzles like you said the first time you saw that first colossi you were just like enamored with like the magnitude of its size it literally was like taller mm-hmm. than the hills that it, it just popped out of like just massive and then you like you climb this thing and you feel like this is like this insurmountable chore and or not like chores in like the game's annoying but like it's just this is larger than life yeah. like you don't i'm gonna die with like doing this <laughs> and you'll fall off a few times you and then you finally make it to the top and like it's after like you accomplish that you down the Colossi and then there's like this black mist that comes up out of it. And then it just like, I guess the best word to say it would like, it literally punctures uh wander and then it like knocks him out and you wake up back in the temple. Now, can you use hentai as a verb? <laughs> he, he tentacle porned me back to the, <laughs> he, back to he the kind temple. of got hentai. <laughs> You know, I, I guess I need to <laughs> sit down and play this game again. I got at least 16 <laughs> good ones in me, <laughs> literally. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, but before I jump into, like, the how that, like, progresses the plot narratively, the, the Colossi in this game as you're going on, I think it's one of the best examples of a, a tiered puzzle system. Because every mm-hmm. Colossus, at least, especially like the first four Colossi, they have like a very similar, or the first two have like a very similar like, hey, climb me, get a good grip of like, hey, here's how to just climb this fur. Here's a good example of like jumping and grabbing on and, you know, scaling these tall creatures. And then here's a good example of like keeping your balance. Like they do a good job of showing you those things because every single time you come up against a new Colossi after those first couple, you have to use everything that you've learned 
to be able to conquer the next one. And I, it wasn't probably until I finished the game or maybe even until the last Colossi that I even realized that I had to use every single one of these abilities I learned to be able to tackle these things. And I think that like yeah. the ability to place those things so subtly into that and not have it like a very, you know, Legend of Zelda style. Oh, I can't get up there till I have the hook shot. Well, now I have the hook shot and then use the bow that mm-hmm. I had to, I got when I was up there. Like that type of uh, quote unquote dungeon system is in this game, but it's so much more subtle because of all the things you already could do. It was just how the game was teaching you how to use them in the situation you're in. And it just helps yeah. build the bond that you and Wander have as a character. And it does all that without any dialogue at all. All of or it is tutorial just done. Or anything. <laughs> or tutorial or anything like that. Um, you know, the first Colossus, it, um, the way that you beat it is you crawl up onto its leg where there's a minor weak spot. You hit that to get him to put his knee down, and then you crawl up his head, or crawl up his back to his head where there's a major weak spot. And there's a ton of, like, of the language of the game that you're learning there. Like, okay, anything that has fur on it, I can climb. Cool. There's going to be minor weak spots that'll make something happen, but that isn't how I'm going to kill this thing. Cool. There are major weak spots, and that's where I'm going to do my damage. Like, those three elements are core to every fight that go on, like, until the end of the game. Um, and, and having those as constants throughout all three... Um, creates this kind of visual language for for players where even if you know you don't have a ton of experience with video games after the first colossus you get how this works and it will not change from here until the end of it puzzles will get harder for sure you'll have to do a lot more lateral thinking but it's all going to be built on um those core building blocks yeah and i i love games that way and like you said this is a great example of how like multiple games in the future utilize like the the narrative storytelling and the you know that that puzzle stacking schema of you know building the the relationship between you and the character or you know even the the narrative elements of keeping things so simplistic you know that i mean shit i mean this game came out in what 2005 i think the Mm -hmm. original game did and I mean, we're still seeing games. I mean, even Souls games are a derivative of this type of storytelling. Just very basic, very easy. And you'd be crazy to think that there wasn't at least some inspiration from the massive world schemes and the way that the stories are told, not in our in our favorite games even of today. So just a really big shout out to like how just how in depth this game is for how simple it it is to play because it's not a hard game like it really isn't no i i think it would be almost impossible to overstate the impact that shadow colossus has had on the current gaming landscape um for sure you know in in subtle ways and in like large ways but i can tell you that um the developers of god of war the developers of breath of the wild from soft developers who they were working on elden ring all three of them have confirmed that Shadow of the Colossus was a big inspiration on their work. Um, Guillermo del Toro has also said that all three of or that uh, Breath, uh, Shadow of the Colossus is a masterpiece. That doesn't have anything to do with like game development. I just think that's fucking cool. That is actually really, really cool. I didn't know that. 
Huh. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro is a big old geek, man. I didn't. I don't know much about that type of, like, I don't. I don't delve into like the movie industry. I actually intentionally stay away from it and all the people involved in it because I actually just really hate it. <laughs> so I'm like straying more and more. I, and that I've said this before in the show. I really think that like the most progressive and in-depth form of storytelling has been superseded by video games. Like it just has been. And your inner inner connectivity with these characters and the emotion that you can convey is just second to none. I mean, here we are talking about the impact of a game from 2005. Like, yeah, crazy. Well, I'll, I'll say this. And I think this is something that video games have sometimes struggled with. Like, you've given player the the fundamental difference between people who are consuming video games as opposed to, like, a book or a movie is agency. You have the ability to make decisions in a game. Um, and it's sometimes, it feels like developers struggle with how to capitalize on that. You know, the bottom of the barrel is, like, the moral choice system that a thousand games employ, Right. Where it's like, do you either do you want to be a dickhead or a cool guy? And those are your two choices. You know, it doesn't have any impact on the story at all, other than like you know changing how a cutscene and like what color sparks you get for like <laughs> infamous at the end of the game. Um, but it doesn't challenge the players in any way. It doesn't fundamentally change gameplay. Um, that's sort of bottom of the barrel. There are a couple of games that incorporate the idea of meaningful choice. And Shadow of the Colossus does, I think, an incredibly brave move and strips all that away. It says, you don't even have to give players options within a game, within your narrative, within your story. But just the fact of putting them in the position of control, of being the ones who are responsible for the actions of the story, fundamentally changes how they experience it. Um, I, you know, after killing a Colossus, there's this really, really, like, kind of sad, you know, death scene that all of them mm -hmm. get. It's not triumphant. It's, it's hollow, and you feel like you're experiencing, some, experiencing something, you know, it, tragic. Um, how do you feel about that? That was you. You worked really hard to make that happen. <laughs> Well, I think that I think the the deafening silence of like the mm -hmm. world that you're in like it exacerbates that feeling as well, because like yeah. you, you just wander through this like empty world that you know you're here and not supposed to be in, and you find these creatures mm -hmm. at the whim of this faceless voice and tackle these creatures who are until you're aggressive with them, not aggressive to you. Yeah, and like you said, it's just like they, their there's own like a business, man. There's like a painful moan as they die, and it's just like, like you said, there's no victory music. There's nothing. There's just yeah. like this solemn silence as their bodies fade into nothingness, and then like there's like this tentacle porn that <laughs> comes out of it. But like, in all seriousness, like I feel like the way that that hits you is like how wonder probably feels in that moment it's like it's like does he even care that this is like catching up to him because it's it's like how it hits him emotionally like ugh, like it's how it feels for me 
When, like I said, yeah. there's like you just get hit with this like wave of despair every time, every one that you bring down, and that's another great thing about the the story here is that as it goes on, the game just in the way that like like you said these colossi just like die without the the slightest sense of accomplishment or anything, it leaves you start to question what you're really doing, and yeah. So I, I think you want to drive kind the narrative of, on there. <laughs> yeah, I think the game kind of forces you to because at every point, um, the game refuses to either condemn or condone your actions. You're never f- meant to feel like a hero for killing these things. You're also never really vilified for it up until like the end of the game, and we can even get into that. But you know, in the moment, it's just this kind of sadness that something huge and ancient has had to perish mm-hmm. any feelings that you know you're sort of forced to create a reaction to it on your own without any sort of input from the game itself which i i think is why a lot of people consider this to be a really thoughtful game it doesn't give you a lot to work with so you have to bring something to that experience um, yeah, I think that's how the game is able to ask a lot of really interesting questions without pushing it in their players' faces. Yeah, and on, on that point specifically, I'm really glad that you said that. Like, whenever I was playing this game, I think it was around the which Colossus was it? I think it was the maybe it was the bird. I think it was like the fifth or sixth mm-hmm. one. I'm not sure, but like you get, it's very very emotional especially in like that arena because like the prompts that you get whenever you're you're having a hard time it's like they feel like you're being shoved as opposed to like it's helpful and it was at that moment I was like you know what I feel like I'm playing here is I feel like I'm playing Majora's Mask like that deep like undertone of like just sadness just rife throughout the entire story and no matter what happens there's like that subtle like dissonance of of like pain like strips yeah. out and you it's know it's eerie. it's like it's not uncommon and I, I was trying to think about i took i took some notes here and i was trying to think about like why i felt that way and i did i did a bit of a little a little bit of research i know i've talked about this before on video game mythos in my uh my navi episode but the the themes of this game at least i I thought this that were prevalent is we're dealing with the same themes that we're dealing with in Majora's Mask. And I think that's why I felt that way is because we're dealing with the stages of grief here. So like arguably each of the temples in Majora's Mask represent a different stage of grief. But then um, in this one, Wander has already went through denial and then he's he's in the stages of bargaining because he literally bargains and then he's in the mm. stages of anger and depression throughout this whole piece. And whenever he's he's focusing and channeling his anger on all these coloss- colossi, the game's literal score like begins triumphant and uh, and bold. While like you're channeling his anger and his focus on these colossi, but then after he kills one, it becomes just increasingly more melodic and disheartening. And it just, it's just so powerful whenever you like, you can 
feel yourself comparing. I know we've talked about how games are influenced by this, but being able to draw that comparison back to like another just like groundbreaking, life-changing title that makes you feel something, even as something as cartoony as like early Zelda games is really mm. cool. So, yeah. Sorry, I went on the a soapbox game, there. <laughs> no, I, I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think one of the things where the game finds a lot of power is playing with that sort of contrast where we transition very quickly between these sort of like contemplative, silent exploration pieces into these big bombastic fights, you know, in the first stage of a boss fight where you're figuring out where everything is. Then when you solve a puzzle and the music immediately shifts into something kind of manic and triumphant um, until you beat it and things go quiet very quickly. Those sort of snap changes between those, um, those sort of moods, you know, really do play with your emotions, you know, when you go between sort of a manic and a depressive state. Um, you know, I, th I think there's, there's something to that. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I before before I jump into the next point I want to make, and because it, it just goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. So after you kill these colossi, we talked about this like black uh, stuff that just like enters you, and then you wake up in these this temple. And there is each time that this happens, your character like struggles to bring themselves back up, and mm -hmm. whether it's one or two or three, no matter how how many you've done it struggles um, or wander struggles to get up. And it's, it's very, it continues on with that theme of, you know, regardless of the pain and regardless of the grief and depression that I'm feeling and how upset about this, I won't stop because there's a glimmer of hope in the distance. There's, there's, they're dangling this goal in front of me. And I mm -hmm. really think that's really powerful in how the game presents like the overall goal, but then just, how many times in life is it just like even day to day you're looking at something and you're going, okay, let's just, let's just get to that point and we'll, we'll move on from there. And that's, it's really cool. Cause it's just another way you're connecting with, with wander because it's like that, it, you know, we might not be our everyday decisions might not be hinging on like a loved one's life, but like mm -hmm. that is a very relatable emotion. Like, let me just finish this one thing so I can just get through this and I'll pick myself up and I'll relax when it's done. Like and over and over and over again, your character's battered and bruised and beaten over that same emotion. And it just becomes tiresome. And, you know, by like mm -hmm. the eighth or ninth Colossus, I was just like, ah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a grind. Like the game didn't yeah. feel like I was, like it didn't feel grindy, but like, you start to feel the same thing that you get a sense that wander is feeling like it's very, I'm just, I'm doing this for my loved ones. I'm doing this for the things that I care about. And I really like how the game just yet again, subtly implanted that right into the narrative and I was able to pick up on it. So kudos to, yeah. to the team on that team. Ico. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, a lot of that grindy feeling comes from the fact that you're not advancing the narrative. You're given a colossal task, colossal task, hey, uh, at the beginning of this, you know, you're this immense, almost insurmountable uh, job to do. And every time you beat a colossus, you're just picking off that's one more piece of the job, you know? Yeah. Like, 
Um, so I can definitely understand how, how that kind of sets in a little bit after a while, you know, it, it gets into a rhythm, you know, and that's, that's the grind. Wake up, go find the thing, <laughs> fight the thing, and then get tentacled at the end of the day if you're lucky. <laughs> hey, that's, uh, that's my work day, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, uh, and that's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I do, I, what I really like is like the first couple times that this happens, I think it's maybe the fourth or fifth one that you kill, there's actually like a break in just the scenery. First off, forgot to mention that every time that you wake up, there is another like shadowy figure standing over your body before you actually mm -hmm. wake up. And every Colossus you kill adds another figure standing around you. It's like a, it's very eerie. And it also lends way to, again, a wordless way of them telling us what's actually going on in the story. Um, so I think it's around the fourth or fifth one that you kill that you actually get a cut scene to where, like, he goes up and looks at her body or something like that to see if there's any change or... Um, and I know that there's like a lot of articles out there that say like you can see more light, like her skin tones get like more skin like and not and a little bit less white and things like that. But like, yeah, I was never able to pick up on those. I'm just going to be honest. I've seen a ton of that shit. And like, <laughs> I don't know, man, I think you're seeing what you want to see there. Like, <coughs> yeah, that, for sure. She's she is for sure dead. She is 100 percent dead. And it's not like you can get 98 percent dead. It's yeah. kind of a binary thing. <laughs> uh, I do like, I like the idea of it. Like, it's cool, like speculation. If you can point me to, if you join the Discord link below and like post hey. a video or something like that that has like skin tone changes and, you know, you can prove to me that it's not just someone messing with their monitor settings throughout the, the game that they're playing. I would be very interested in seeing that because I like that level of nuance. I think that that's very cool to be able to see. Um, but uh, regardless whether it's true or not, um, they have those cutscenes, and as it goes on, there's more and more of them. Now, the one that I am able to get a little bit of a glimpse of, I think it doesn't start till like the the eighth one, and then every four it gets a little bit more noticeable. Wander starts to change. Mm -hmm. he becomes a little darker and he starts to grow horns out of his head and he looks like he, shit by the end. Yeah, for sure. Now, rightfully so. I mean, he gets absolutely yeah. muddled by these things. So he's, he's had a day. He's for <laughs> sure had a day, <laughs> especially the, uh, the last one, but we'll talk about that later. Um, mm -hmm. so, but yeah, I, I like how that, that happens and I like that the game doesn't call attention to it. You could go the whole game, play it multiple times, never notice it. The game never calls mm. it out and you wouldn't see anything until the very end. And I, again, I think it's another way that they show that like, he doesn't care. He's aware that what he's doing probably isn't the right thing to do. And like you said, the binary sense of right, and <laughs> right and wrong death and life. Um, it's probably not great but he doesn't care. Like he would literally kill himself if he has to, to bring his loved one back to life. So I like, I like that they don't draw any attention to it. And I think it's another way of showing that your character wouldn't care regardless if he did notice. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a nonverbal way of 
you know, showing the struggle um, that and the sacrifice that that Wander is going to need to put up in order to make this deal. Um, If there is a moral of the story, and I'm not sure there is, but if there is one, it's probably that uh, making a deal with a supernatural being is generally a bad (laughs) idea. Hey, I learned that in Supernatural. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got to ask, I know, so like in this, in this stage of the game, we're in this, like I said, I don't want to call it a grind because it definitely doesn't feel that way. We're in this back and forth, go get a Colossus, kill him, move on to the next one until you, until you complete your numbers. I got to ask what what Colossus like stand out to you? If you're could, if you were to be like, Hey, here's one or two or three that like really pay attention to this fight. I really think this shines. What would be like your, the one that you would really go all in on? I mean, the, the all in one for me is one that we've talked about already, which is number four, uh, which is the bird. Um, I think that was the first time that I really got a sense of, of, um, how big this game feels where it's not just a static arena anymore, you know, and gripping onto this thing means, you know, it takes off with you and you circle around the entire arena and try to hold on as there's wind blowing, um, and navigate across its wings as it's flapping and turning, you know, it feels very chaotic and cinematic. Um, so that shit rules. Um, Personal favorite, I think, probably is the other flying one, which we won't fight until like near the end of the game out in the yeah. desert where you're riding on horseback and popping the weird little like uh, air, air bubbles on its chest to get it to <laughs> dive down. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think that just the sense of scale is so turned up to 11 with that. It's by far the longest Colossus and watching it fly overhead you know, this giant, like, six-wing six wing snake thing. I don't know. It's just the coolest shit. It- I, I think you're onto something, too, because, like, the, the game itself shines in, like, the atmosphere. And whenever any of these mm-hmm. colossi, like, pick you up and, like, move quickly, or at least with any sense yeah. of haste through the environments that they're in and give you, like, a sense of scale to be able to observe not just how large they are, but, like, how how they're moving through this world. It creates like a sense of like realism in the Colossi. It's, it creates a sense of um, like discovery as you're moving through. Yeah. And it also like, you feel like you're more connected in those moments because there's like, there's a sense of depth. Like if you fall, you're probably going to die. If like mm-hmm. you're in that water arena, you can see like the ripples moving as like it flies over overhead. And it's just, it's fucking awesome. Like there's just, Mm -hmm. those are arguably the best fights in the game. Not because like the combat's cool, but because like the spectacle and the focus of this whole game, no matter the Colossus is never the combat. It is the environments and it's the narrative elements that are just embedded in every aspect of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think it's absolutely telling that a lot of the games that, I've named so far that take influence from God, uh, from Shadow of the Colossus, you know, God of War, Breath of the Wild, Elden Ring, all of that, they're aping like the mood and the setting and the sort of vibes of Shadow of the Colossus, less so than the actual mechanics of the game, which not 
many games I think have really tried to to emulate. Yeah. I I think so you're how right. So about you? Did you have a an all-in one? Um I don't I don't want to steal yours, so I'll give two, but like definitely my my favorite like first fight where I got to it, I was like, "Oh fuck, yeah, this is dope." Was definitely Avion, mm. the the fifth Colossus. Uh yes, I mm. know that name. I'm sorry, I'm a huge nerd. Um <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you the reason I love this fight. So we've talked about like the world. This fight is like grade A world building. Cause like not only do you have to go like way out of your way through like awesome environments to like get to this arena, it's it's kind of hidden in the sense that like you have to get in the water, not just like walk up to it like the other ones. You have to get in the water, go underwater, mm-hmm. and like get into the arena. But here's how here's the, this is a great example of like how the world building in this game is just so far and away above like most other games. So like we talked about like the Zelda thing to where it's like every little thing is like usable. You let you get into this arena, what's the first thing that you tried to do the first time you were in here? Climb one of the towers to get up to this thing. The towers in this thing are red herrings. They serve absolutely no purpose. Nothing other than this flat platforms on the ground serve any purpose. So like I spent probably the first 20, 30 minutes of this fight like trying to Just climb trying to these towers to and get the high ground. It was completely pointless. The only thing it was is literally just environmental storytelling of where this mm-hmm. thing is from and the, the world that you're in and how there were different castles and towers across this land. You don't need any of it. I think that that is so cool that they took the time to do that because they could have just made a flat surface with water and a couple places to stand and it would have still been a, a great spectacle of a fight, but just the fact that they created depth and the, the ability to try to throw you off and teaching you that to maintain your focus throughout the course of the fight is just one of like the coolest things. I really appreciate that about this fight. Yeah, I agree. Having, having, ruined buildings and things like that in this sort of forbidden land adds such a sense of, you know, you can't help but speculate about who, who used to live here. Why is it forbidden? What happened here? How long ago was this? And, you know, the game isn't necessarily interested in creating, you know, a, a, a list of answers for you. You're not going to find that. But it's more about getting you to do the imaginative work to, to sort of put those pieces together, which I think is really, is um, almost kind of unique to Shadow of the Colossus, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's, you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find something that captures, at the very minimum, the same vibe as, the, as they do in these, these types of things. Uh, yeah. Um, a, that was probably, like you said, that was probably my like, all-in Colossus. It was really cool. Um, mm. I really like the underwater one because it introduces like <sighs> this new element of like, okay, I got to do things underwater or like hang on and teaches you like when it's important to let go and, you know, right. to, to just narratively speaking, taking those second chances or third chances and waiting for the opportunities that you need to, which you'll need to later on for other Colossi. <clears throat> I think that was like the seventh or the eighth one. Um mm-hmm. But man, I really, I really like that one too because there was a lot of trial and error. And whenever the trial and error isn't too cumbersome, like it is in some of the early, <laughs> other earlier ones, it feels great. Um, finding the ability to like 
or having to find out the that you could like grab the tail and trying to get out of the way of like the shock was a lot of right. fun. Um, and I think one of the other ones that I really liked, I don't, let me see what number it is. I have a list of them here. I think it's the second one that you fight. Um, but I just, I really like the environment. And I think it's, it's probably one of my favorite environments outside of the bird arena. You're talking like, the, the seaside cave one? Uh, no, it might not be that one then. It's the oh. one that's like in the graveyard. And you like go oh. down inside of the graves and kind yeah. of get it to trick you to like look down inside for you. I just think that's so neat because the vibe of the area, it's like really small and you get the idea that if there's a Colossus here, it was, it's here for a reason and it's like guarding something or there's an importance to this grave mm. that you're quote unquote raiding to get away from this thing. And the idea to like utilize the tombs to trick it to look down at you and then like actually tricking the creature, it's a lot more than just like climbing it and killing it or like jumping on it at the opportune time. It's like there's actually like a, an aspect of like a mentality to the Colossus that you don't get in some of the other ones. And I really, yeah. I really appreciate that. There's like a little bit of narrative depth there. There's some the idea that these things have semi parts of a brain to be able to, to utilize like mm -hmm. that type of motor function. That's the first uh, one. I think that, yeah, it doesn't have any sort of like visible fur that you can climb and forces you to do a lot more lateral thinking and using the environment, which, you know, <coughs> is another core concept that'll get built on as we go on through these. Um, my counterpoint is that it kind of looks like a horse. So I have to tell you that it sucks. <laughs> fair, uh, fair, but you can't ride it if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> it does and it does um, um yeah that's I, a good point though i there there's a lot of really good ones there's let me ask you this i know that because since we've all everyone listening has probably played this game a couple times as well which one did you just hate like because uh, i had a few that i just fucking hated doing like it was just a chore the one that i think i hate the most is the uh it's a it's one of the smaller ones. It's the lion in the cave where you have to like grab a torch yes, and force yes. it off the back of a cliff. Yes. I, a couple <laughs> of fucking things. One, if you're going to be called a Colossus, you got to be bigger than a Jeep Wrangler. Like I think, mm. I don't, I don't even really think that's controversial. <laughs> like that thing is a mid-sized sedan. Um, and I just found this is where the sort of floppiness of the character and Wander's tendency to get bowled over it looks kind of cartoonish and dumb when it's not put against this massive earth-shaking monster mm. you know yep. when you're fighting something that's a little bit more agile and has more control it can get kind of frustrating um yeah i appreciate that it's plays much different than a lot of the other colossi but it was a miss for me yeah, my my I have the same exact complaints. That's the one I absolutely despise the most because it didn't you didn't utilize the given environment to defeat it. You didn't mm -hmm. utilize like any specific element to like like you you just hey hey lure it off a cliff. It didn't yeah. feel like very profound. Also, there were two of these colossi that were really small. There's this one and one towards the end that was around the same size, looked very similar to this one. Might actually even yeah. been the same fucking look. Um, <laughs> but, like, whenever you actually do get on top of them, 
Mm-hmm. I was just on top of like a 300 foot tall building of a colossi. I had a sword. I stabbed it three times and it died. You're telling me this little bastard that's barely bigger than my sword itself. I have to stab this thing like a hundred times to kill it. And I'm stabbing it in the right spot. They just had like so much more health than even these like massive ones. And it was just a pain in the ass. Cause I was constantly yeah. getting yanked around and thrown and it just, it just felt really like disproportionate in a lot of ways. So if yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, the other one I kind of had a hard time with, um, uh, and it's a shame because I actually really like the boss area and the the exploration piece up to it I think is really cool. But it's the the sort of wall crawling lizard in a big sort of underground, oh, yeah. um, and I think this just came down to I don't know if this is improved on the PS4 version. I only have the PS2 version, but you have to the way that you get it to be in a vulnerable state is shooting it with an arrow on the legs, like through some of the windows um, in, in the, uh, the sort of Coliseum that you're in. And I just found like hit detection was not that great. Aiming with a control stick on the PS2 controller was like a little bit janky. Um, I didn't, I didn't love it. Using the bow in this game at all is kind of janky. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's the same thing. There's like that glowing part of the foot that like you have mm. to you have to shoot to knock it down. It really doesn't get right. improved at all. Um, <clears throat> I don't I don't really think they did much to improve this game at all. What in the remake remakes? I think it was just more of remasters. But yeah, I guess that would be in keeping with Blue Point sort of mo, which is to leave everything faithful to the original. Which fair enough. Yeah, I like I liked that fight. It was very cool. It was different. Like I like mm-hmm. the the introduction of those new elements. Um, I didn't care for like let's say the thing like shot a like because it shoots like the ball of gas that's poisonous as well. Yeah. Um, I didn't care for the fact that like it would it, you could be standing behind a wall and it would shoot the wall and you'd be fine. But like you run back through the staircase and it hits like the right. outside and it's still somehow like you're getting you're getting poisoned. So I feel like just a little bit of a, a misfire on that. But the I guess, rules are a little inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> um. Good fight though. I liked I liked seeing the speed. I liked seeing the movement of like an actual lizard and that how like the front moves and the back, you know, body yeah. kind of moved with it. It was it was really cool. It's um, the first one that felt really aggressive. Um, and there's a couple more after that that'll sort of take that up and you know they start shooting things at you too. But that's the first one that really feels like it's like, you know, all up in your face. Yeah, it, it follows you anywhere you go. It's like oh, you want to mm. run up to the sixth floor? I'll just climb the wall. Fuck you. And how about this? Fuck you. <laughs> um, the other one I just wanted to call attention to really quick, just because we talked about those the little ones. It was the second of the little like leopard looking ones that you fight. Mm-hmm. I actually really liked that because it took the game back to like the roots of like climbing and hanging on and utilizing your agility to actually get through the fight and tricking. Again, there's that mental aspect of these creatures using like yeah. the feral nature of this this creature against itself to be able to trick it into hurting itself. Like I really thought that was kind of a, a cool concept. I completely agree with that. Where that fight, I think, you know, they took this idea of we have this sort of platformy parkour esque 
you know, element of the game that's inherent to climbing a lot of the colossi, let's see how far we can push it. So, you know, creating a sort of stage for Wander to, to run or, uh, run through as he's, you know, taking pot, arrow pot shots at this beast that's trying to knock over uh, columns. Um, I think it worked really well. Uh, it, it, like, the environment was really cool and and having it change throughout the fight gave it a sense of realism that I thought was was unique to that fight. I agree. I think my favorite thing about that arena on that point was like when I first walked into it, I was like, yo, this is like a really cool design. There's like weird trenches and like towers all over the place. Like it mm. looks really neat. I didn't at any point when I was fighting or moving through that area before I triggered the the Colossus to come down have any inkling of how it was going to come together. Like it right. felt, it felt very much like it was naturally built the way it was for the sense of the look of it. And then as it started to come together at no point was like, Oh, that's just there to, for this reason, it just felt very natural. And it was like, they utilized the environments they built to accomplish what they tried to do as opposed to built it to accomplish the goal. So I yeah. definitely appreciate that. The the best thing I can say is that it feels almost like they put this environment together first and then figured out how Wander was supposed to move through it, as opposed to creating a a pathway for Wander and then building around that. Yeah, and I think that like we hearkening back to like the bird battle. I mean, I feel like that mm -hmm. was the same thing. They're like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna build this like destroyed temple in this area that just got flooded and like then we're gonna put a bird in it like as opposed yeah. to the other way around so that's it's really cool like shout out to team Ico for that that design it's very neat mm -hmm. as far as like the colossus itself any other like notes or points of like that you wanted to make other than like maybe the last the last one we'll probably want to talk about that once we get to it yeah i mean we've touched on it a little a little bit but the fact that these don't feel like video game enemies, these feel like sort of more or less docile animals, actual animals that inhabit this world. Um, you know, I think that's a really impressive trick to pull off and makes that first engagement feel like such a choice. You know, these things aren't bothering you. You know, they, they fit into this world and you don't. It's your choice to go up and fuck with them. Um, That's a great point. Yeah. Like, I, I, there's not many bosses that are like that, where you have to be the one to, to you know, initiate. Wait, you mean to tell me that Darksiders are not like that? You mean, like, everyone there is just, like, part of the environment? <laughs> I resent you <laughs> for making me think about Darksiders, something no one has had to do since maybe, I don't know, when did that last, when did the last game of the Darksiders come out? 20, 2012? I'm going to say like, 2012. More like when, when did the first one come out and we were all tricked by it and then <laughs> never, never went back to the series. <laughs> you were there once, you know. Oh, sad but true. <laughs> um, no, and I think the game just to you know jump back over that horrible joke that I just made back to like them being a part of this world and you not like at no point like whenever you're moving through and like there's I think there's like four or five of these colossi that literally are 
rise out of the environment. They either break off the wall or they come out of the ground or they something mm. to mit and like they were there and you could have ran right by them and not even seen them. And that just goes to like really prove that like narratively speaking, they that's probably the point they were trying to get at was that they're they're physically part of this world that needs to just be left alone. And you're yeah. you're the bad guy here, you know, in, in these one on one situations and also sort of overall, you know? It's like it's a <clears throat> I don't know. It's cool. I, I like yeah. I like that point. Yeah, most definitely. So um, is Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was I was gonna progress into more plot points. If there's anything else on the Colossi you wanna touch on, go for no, it. No, I'm excited to get into the more plot. Okay. Um so like we said, at when you get to like twelve, it becomes a little bit more noticeable after you kill the twelfth Colossi that like Wander isn't doing great. And there's a little bit more narrative that starts to come in. And I think after you kill, I think it's the 13th Colossi. I think it branches away from the this traditional, he comes back to the facility and there's people standing around or shadowy figures standing around him. And then it goes off into like a different area of the world. And you see like horses and um, multiple more people that are traveling. And you get the sense that they are on the way to you. And I think there's even some of the first dialogue outside of Dorman talking to you in the game where they said, mm-hmm. we need, we need to hurry or something yeah. like that. Um, and there's this little, <laughs> little chubby dude on a horse. Like let, let's make haste. Let's go. Um, he's got like that, a bowl cut and everything. <laughs> yeah. He's it's great. <laughs> it's very, the design of these characters is very, uh, it's very like twilight princess. E mm. of like those of like the guardsmen and like that that village leader guy they're very twilight princess-esque everyone's got bowl cuts or bald heads and they don't yeah. need to like that's not a bad <laughs> point i guess it is like of that era isn't it twilight princess is somewhere in here yeah it's in the transition from gamecube to wii so it'd be 20 2006 ish yeah so yeah yep. this game 2005 very much the same um yeah, so after the 14th Colossi, there's another, I think, again, I could have these numbers wrong, but it's near the end of the game. There's, like, another one of them uh, getting even closer. Mm. Um, and if you notice, this is where the game starts to slow you down. So, like, it takes you some to some of the forest areas where you see the sun shining through the trees, and you can't rush through it like others. You have to actually especially when you're on wonders or uh, aggro slow down and like walk through the areas and really it forces you to appreciate the break in the environment and it forces you to slow down. And like, I think it's intentional trying to make you think about the journey that you're on, but at the same time you push through it. Like Mm -hmm. the game's trying to get you to stop and slow down narratively but you as wonder are driven and focused and you just, you're like, why can't I go faster? I'm trying to push the thumbstick harder to get through there. And I think it's very intentional in the way that they created this game is to, to try to get you to think about your choices, but you don't want to, which becomes kind of a driving force here in the next part of the game. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you were saying in those forest areas where, you know, the sun is only shining through the trees in some certain points, so you're impeded a little bit in that way. Um, giving almost kind of like a light sort of puzzle aspect to exploration, 
you know, it kind of diverts your attention and gives you something that you have to focus on um, as you're moving from Colossus to Colossus, which I, I think that's a great point, is that it's there to get you to sort of focus on the immediate here and now. How do I get from point A to point B? Because this is where it becomes very obvious that there may be, you know, some repercussions for your actions. Mm, for sure. Well, as far as repercussions, I think in this fourth Colossi, we'll touch on, or 14th Colossi, I think this is the one you were discussing where it was like a big old bird in the air. I do want to touch mm. on this one because I think it, this this fight is like the culmination of everything that you've learned. Because this Colossi, and I think the next one, is it the 14th or the 15th one? Um, it doesn't matter. Because, like, this Colossi, and then you immediately go from that one. Oh, no, that's the 13th Colossi, the Phalanx. It's, like, the balloon bird dragon. Um, right. After that is, I think, Bridge Boy. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. And then you go into the, the other little the little one, and then into the last yep. one. Um, mm. But, like, these, these last ones, like you said, this one is really cool because it's not only do you get that sense of scale, you utilize everything at your your disposal for this fight. Mm. And I think that's why it's so memorable. So like one, the sense of scale is huge. Like the desert seems endless. Like and I yeah. didn't I definitely didn't go from one end to the other just to like test the walls of the the game, but you just mm. you get the feeling like you could ride for 5 or 6 minutes in game before you hit a wall. Um, right. And still be able to see this thing floating in the background. Mm -hmm. So you have very precise horse maneuverability, which is nearly fucking impossible. You have <laughs> the mechanic where you have to jump from your horseback onto a moving mm -hmm. object, which is pr pretty hard to master. You have the bow and arrow while you're on horseback, which requires some, in my my experience, I had to retailer the way I was controlling aggro. Oh, really? To be able to make that happen. Um, mm -hmm. Which, again, was just a couple second adjustment, but I found myself holding the controller just a little differently to make it happen. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Again, just another way I felt just like a little bit connected to, to wonder in those moments. Then after you use the arrow, you do the jump off the horse. Then you do climbing vertical climbing as opposed to horizontal climbing uh which is it's different because it maintain you utilize like just the ability to hold on and you have to find like precise moments to jump up you have to mm -hmm. make make leaps mid-air which will push you backwards because you're mid-air and you're grabbing onto a different part of the colossus's fur and then you have that like vertical uh or i'm sorry horizontal finding the opportune moment to like run while while it's like not curving there's just everything in this fight and it is very yeah. cool um i also found myself getting really frustrated when i fell off i was like fuck no like i want i don't want to fall off right here I, like i know that's like it's a it's one of those things like it's scheduled that you fall off and have to to redo what you just did but i felt find myself <laughs> not wanting to do that <laughs> no for sure and i think that's part of the trade-off of having like an almost sort of puzzle aspect to a lot of these bosses is you're forced to repeat the same puzzle you know if you fall off or even just you know when you move into the second stage of the boss fight and that's not nearly as satisfying when you already know what to do you know that sense of discovery the first time around it's awesome it is so good 
second time it can get a little bit grating. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean that Voss was really cool. It was mm. it was another one of those ones where like the music hits so hard whenever like you defeat it because it's like you're already yeah. in this like super desolate wasteland of an area and it's such a fun time like you're you're on such a high whenever you beat that boss and it's just like oh yeah this game's depressing sorry forgot about that <laughs> part so so from yeah, here for sure from here we go on to the other two colossi that we've already touched on and then we finally get to the final colossi which i think his name was like magus or something like that um yeah this one's, it's worth it, these are all fan names, right? Like, I don't think there's been anything officially released by Team Ico that that dictates what these things are called. I, I could be wrong about that. I think they have names, um, but I don't know where they source from. Maybe like the game manual or something like that, um, mm. because they're it's pretty succinct across the documentation that I've looked at for the game. Um, but you're right. It might, it very well may be. I'm not saying that that's canon at all. Uh, Malice is the name that it has. M-A-L-U-S. Um, Grandius Superness. But yeah, that would be something that would be interesting to know as to if, how those names came into play. Yeah. Um, so, correct me if I'm wrong, is there any like narrative bits before the, like, the final Colossus? I know there's like a sequence where it like unlocks um and it like busts out of like its shell or something like that i don't quite remember like how it went down um well you're you're dealing with the fact that uh your horses died like right before that right well i mean like i I feel like there's something in the temple where it's like you know now oh oh i see and it's and it's like you need to go here and like there's some scene where it like shows it or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. I could at be some very point, wrong. I can't remember exactly when it happens, but at some point, um, Wander has a vision that the girl has like woken up. Um, I can't remember if that's before the last one or not, but I like, it's him dreaming. Um, gotcha. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's any like big moment before the last one other than, uh, Dorman giving you the like, all right, pal, let's, let's go, go do the thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So this one, this one's kind of neat. And this is like, it just goes to show like the sense of scale for this game. Like mm. this Colossus is, it's like a straight shot out of the temple around the wall and like over a hill. And there's this like massive door in the middle of this open field that you've ran through like three times that you never even saw before. Like, it's just, it just goes to show like how focused and determined your character mm. is to like, just do his job. Um, you get down to this door, you raise your sword up in the air and it's so cool because like, you just know what to do. Like whenever I ran yeah. down to this door, there's no indication that it's like, Hey, shine your light on this plate in the middle of the door. I just knew what to do. I went down, did it. And just, it just, and I thought, I think again, that's so telling the game trains you on how to handle certain situations. Um, mm-hmm. So you do that. And this Colossus is interesting because it's not just like a, you go to the arena and you fight it. This Colossus being the only Colossus in the game that is, completely stationary um he has 
well, well, first leading up to it, you're right. Like you start to, he has like a tower essentially that you have to climb. And after you hit the little save station right outside of his, uh, before you enter this arena, you painstakingly climb this little back and forth path with your horse, which again is a pain in the butt to maneuver with. <laughs> you get to the top, you jump across this little gap with your horse and the floor starts to collapse out mm. from underneath of you. If you make it far enough, which I died probably three times at this part because I wasn't <laughs> like straight enough or I didn't have enough speed or whatever the reason was, um, aggro will go to jump because the floor is giving out and will buck wander mm. off of his back onto the cliff on the other side and wander or uh, aggro ostensibly falls to his doom mm-hmm. which as we said before max celebrated his death i was a little saddened by it i know the first time i played it i was like oh no uh i mean yeah. you have, I haven't always hated horses have you had you some decency at one point in your life max since, since, does 2000 fact five max hate horses too <laughs> michael day one it was fight on site <laughs> no but i think one of the one of the things that that the game does very well is giving you a very limited tool set. You know, you've only got your sword, your bow, and aggro. And those are the three tools that you have to interact with the world. So taking away one of those towards the end of the game, you know, I think, yeah, it's sad because there's a partnership between you and aggro, and obviously they have a connection. Um... But on a on a mechanical level, it's a it's a real loss of like, you know, a third of the way that you interact with the world that's just gone now. Um, where the sacrifices that Wander is gonna have to make in order to get this bargain to happen are starting to cut into who he is and as a person, like the sort of abilities that he has. And you feel that on a mechanical level here. Yeah, for sure. And, and now I will say this. You finally, you lose aggro. I shouldn't say finally lose them. You lose aggro. <laughs> and then it just so happens that once you lose aggro, you fight the only Colossi that is completely stationary. That's How convenient. Point. <laughs> 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 um, <clears throat> I got to say, the this Colossus was kind of a bitch to get to. Mm. Um, I don't really care for the the run and hide uh, thing that it kind of put you through not because I didn't like it because I felt like there was a couple of the moments that were just like really cheap <laughs> like like he just I, had too at fast of a reaction time no I completely <laughs> agree with that if you ever really want to like you know either frustrate yourself or just be in complete awe if you look up speed runs of Shadow of the Colossus it is possible to basically do like a straight run up to the boss if you just have you know perfect movement effectively but no way like yeah. i was i was like dodging as effectively as i could not to say that's impressive or anything but as effectively <laughs> as i could and i was like getting hit mid-air like by mm-hmm. these bullets that he was shooting so good on those people um but essentially it's like this underground slash above ground behind like walls while he's like shooting these energy balls at you and they hit you and you like fly down into this trench and mm-hmm. have to redo the whole the whole process over again pain in the ass um 
<clears throat> but once you make it up to him, this is probably, it's not probably, this is the tallest Colossus in the game. He wears yep. a giant metal skirt, um, mm -hmm. which is weird. Like, what's he hiding? He doesn't have any genitals. So, like, why the modesty? Who knows? Now, we don't know that. I mean, I was up in there. I don't know if you were, but I was up in there. <laughs> That's true. I guess they could be like so small that it just were like not noticeable. There was a lot of hair. That might be why. Yeah, that's why the giant skirt. You got to overcompensate a little bit. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Explains why I wear a skirt on the weekend. Thanks for outing me there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so this is like a. It's kind of cool because you start from the inside and climb. And then you get to the back, mm. and this is where we start to get into the, you know, we've we've tackled the horseback portion of this fight. We've tackled the climbing portion. We've tackled some maneuverability and just straight uh, moving mechanics. And now we're mm. in the climbing phase, and this is how it's, like, utilizing every piece of the fight. So you climb up to its back. You stab the spot on its back. It reaches around its back to grab you and you jump onto its hand and there's like mm -hmm. this little like puzzle where it's like you have to jump back and forth between these different things and this is where i kind of got lost and the game is like reminding you hey you only have two abilities figure out how to use it because i was getting to the right. point where i was like standing on the back of his hand and going what the hell do i do and then i remember i have a bow and i could shoot the thing as opposed to having to stab it which is the only point in the game where you actually have to cause damage to the glowing parts of the enemies via bow which is why i got so true. lost there are parts where you have to that's true you have to you have to shoot like glowing parts of like their mm. eyes or like the golden parts but the actual like blue symbol that you only yeah. have to stab this is the only part of the game where you shoot it with a bow and that's it took me a while to figure out what was going on interesting so yeah. um, when you finally figure that out, you make your way up to the top. And this is this is one of my favorite things about this this boss is it isn't complicated. It doesn't change the game for the sake of making it harder. It uses the exact same mechanics, the exact same weapons, the exact same flow. And when you get to the top, you've conquered it and you can finish the fight without falling once you get up there. You just have to mm -hmm. be okay with the abilities at your disposal. So, um, yeah, you just kind of stab it in the head until it, till it dies. And you get that same really mournful loss. And this one's even more powerful in my opinion. Cause like, it's not like you're out and the sun is shining and there's not that juxtaposition. This is just like a straight up sad moment to where it's like the lightning striking, it's raining. This thing just like tumbles over, and you somehow survive the fall, and same thing yeah. happens. I think this is another good example of what we've been talking about, where Shadow of the Colossus, you know, it raises the stakes of its narrative not so much through, you know, adding more mechanics to this last fight. It's all just mood and presentation and atmosphere, you know. So you're right. Every other Colossus that you've fought up until this point has this kind of overcast you know, gray sort of, you know, day background. This is the only one with like a big dramatic lightning storm where you can see the silhouette of the thing that's standing like, you know, a half mile away from you and pelting you with lightning bolts. 
where you don't get a good sense of even what it looks like until you're basically like, you know, right underneath it. Um, yeah. Like I, I think the game is much more interested in giving a sense of finality to the presentation rather than making it a particularly difficult fight or trying to roadblock the player that way. Yeah. And I think that like, like you said, the lightning storm is like a great representation of that, but also Mm. like it's a great narrative element because at this point in time, you obviously know like the player, this is the last Colossi and wonder does too. But I don't think you have a good idea of, you know, what you've just done. So let's, before we talk about like effectively what has just happened and what the, what you find out all this is, how do you feel? I know we've talked about how like wonder is pretty one-minded and doesn't really necessarily care about what exactly is going on. But from like, Mm -hmm. if, if you have the ability to kind of like recall the first time that you've played this game, do you, how far into this did you make it before you realized what exactly was going on? Cause I know my first time I played it, I, I didn't know like specifically what was going to happen, but I had a pretty damn good idea of like what I was doing and why it wasn't a good, a good thing. <coughs> yeah, that's, a, that's interesting. Um, I, I, once I noticed how much, you know, this sort of thing or, Killing Colossi was affecting Wander physically, like how his, you know, appearance was changing. Um, it's a pretty strong signal that maybe, you know, this isn't a great choice. <laughs> um, you know, did that prepare me for what happens at the end? Absolutely not. And if anybody says that they guessed the ending to this game, they're fucking lying. Yeah, for sure. Well, do you want to do you want to take us in wrapping up like the narrative here, like what actually takes place? Yeah, I, I've talked okay. a lot. So <laughs> people like your voice, so, obviously. You, I've sold zero stickers. You've sold eleven. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if the ones to my family count, but yeah. <laughs> so as normal, we are transported back to the uh, Temple of Dorman. Um, And at this point, our pursuers have caught up to us in the temple. And this is where we get, like, you know, some of the only dialogue in the game, uh, where we learn that Dorman has basically been imprisoned in this land, and the 16 Colossus are the only thing keeping him there. Um, They're like parts parts of him, like, they they go out of their way to tell you, like, you know what you've done, like, you have... Yeah, you have brought together all the pieces of Dorman. Like it's kind of visceral in, in a sense, and, it, and then it you hear that, and it harkens back to like all the times they've like shot out and like literally penetrated Wander, and you're just like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! Like, what did I do? <laughs> or even like when you stab a Colossus in that weak point and that sort of glowing glyph, and you know something dark and black and you know, what might be blood or might be something else, you know, immediately shoots out almost as if it's pressurized, as if there's something trapped within the Colossus itself that's trying to escape. Um, it's, it sort of recontextualizes all those moments. Um, and then you get straight murked, like just <laughs> executed. You take an arrow to the knee 
and then you're stabbed. Um, With your own sword, if I'm not mistaken, right? No, you're right. Is it? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. (laughs) And then there's this, like, insane shift where Wander is taken over by Dorman, who uses his body almost as, like, a puppet. Um, So Wander reanimates and then grows into this giant, shadowy sort of colossus. Um, And then you're given you know, quote-unquote control for a couple of scenes at this point. That's a strong word. (laughs) Yeah, and it's tough. You know, the question of, like, what is player agency gets really sort of muddy in these last scenes about how much your actions actually impact things, which is surprising for, like, such a huge gameplay change-up. When you take over Dorman... um, your your actions completely change. What the shoulder buttons do changes completely. For this one scene where you can't actually change, impact the end of the story, um, you know, it's sort of implied that you're supposed to take, you know, swipes at these soldiers as they try to escape you, but you can't kill them, or I don't think you can. And even if you could, it doesn't change anything. Yeah, I think um, I, I think it's pretty intentional like in the way that they have that, because I think it's, I think it's meant to be like, obviously Dorman has taken over, like he's free. This is, this is him effectively. Yeah. And you're, he's just using you as a conduit. So your lack of control, I think is narratively telling of, so what is actually going on here? You want to, to make changes. You want to take action here to do things. Even if it is an evil action, you have no mm. control over what you're doing because everything is just different and you, you just physically can't do anything about it. Well, that's maybe, a, yeah, that's a good point. So you're only really able to take, you know, a right swipe, left swipe, and sort of shuffle on over. Um, and this only happens for maybe a minute before control is taken away from you again uh, as the village elder with the pot belly and the bowl cut uh, performs... <laughs> this sort of ritual on uh, the, the temple to try to imprison Dorman again and drops your sword into a fountain at the base of the temple. Uh, and then we get like the strangest and kind of saddest, you know, controllable scene in the game, I think. <laughs> Dude, ta- talk Where- about like Torn here. Like... Yeah, go yeah. go ahead. I'll I'll talk about it once you're done. Go for it. <laughs> so, Wander, who is constantly falling over and being drawn inexorably back towards this pool, is fighting like hell to try to get to the girl who is still at like the the uh, opposite end of the temple, and being pulled back and back and back, and you know, you can really ruin the moment like I did by trying to like bunny hop my way up to her <laughs> yes same same in all like nine playthroughs of this game that i've done absolute yeah. same <laughs> and you can draw it out for like five minutes before realizing like oh this shit's not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> and it, here's the thing it's like in every time that i've ever played this I, I'm like, okay, this is the time I'm like bound and determined to do this. And I add like an extra 30 seconds of attempts 
And it's like, right. I get so far and it's like one slip up and you just like tumble all the way back until you get your grip again. And it's just like, I physically don't even know if it's possible to get up to her, but I will never know because I just don't care. Like it's just too hard of an, of, to do. Like it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your, your attempt is futile and you're drawn back into the pool at which point uh, the bridge to the Forbidden Land collapses, sealing it off from any other human attempt. Surprisingly, Dorman has fulfilled his side of the bargain, and um, the girl wakes up and finds you, a baby, in the, in the pool that you were drawn back into. <laughs> bum, bum, uh, bum. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I don't have a super great way to approach how fucking weird this is. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of speculation about how, you know, you being resurrected as a child with horns. This is the link between Shadow of the Colossus and Ico, which is Team Ico's other game. Um, that it's sort of a prequel to that. And this is where all the children, like, you know, the race of people with horns came from but excellent excellent game by the way personally speaking i like ico more than i like shadow of the colossus personally I haven't speaking i haven't played ico yet um i should pick that up it's a, um it's still pretty clunky but it, it tells a great story of like companionship it's pretty good yeah. i won't go, i won't go into it mm-hmm so we find out that Agro is still alive. Uh, you are <laughs> much to Max's by, dismay. <laughs> much to my chagrin, <laughs> you are picked up by your new mommy girlfriend. Uh, and this is end scene. so weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a very odd and kind of open-ended way to end a video game. Which is Shadow of the Colossus is nothing as you know it it. It goes on as it begins, you know, like it starts <laughs> off really strange and fucking mysterious and we're going to end the same way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it, it's a literary element, I guess I could call it. It's a very common literary element to wrap a, a wrap a story in the ending or wrap the ending of a story in the same packaging that the beginning is it, it creates like a, a narrative um bundle that like it wraps up nicely in a familiar way and and leaves you feeling complete like and like you can leave something behind and i think that i know that it was kind of just an impasse comment but i think you're really right in the way that they do that ending it you know it it in those final moments where she's holding the baby and then it kind of ends. And then there's like the mm -hmm. cut scenes and the credits where she's walking through the temple with this child and exploring kind of moving through this world. It's very much done in the same way with the wide angle shots and with the horse and moving through in the big, you know, the sun setting in the background. It's done in the same way that the beginning of the game is done with the wide shots whenever Agro and Wander were coming into the world. Yeah, so I, I, think I think that's that, totally true. I, I think it's very, it's a great way to wrap up the story because 
there's a couple interpretations to the actual ending that have like larger implications and you don't really know. So kind of how I saw this was the one implication being, yes, this is like the quote unquote connective tissue between Ico as team Ico's project between Ico and wander. Is this Yuda from the game? I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and is this like that spiritual uh, pre- precursor or pre- spiritual mm-hmm. prequel to that game? Or is it an actual prequel? Like it's not ever 100% confirmed. Yeah. There's also the more disturbing or tragic way to look at it that this is not just a baby. This is the physical manifestation of Dorman being brought back into this world and having the, this baby being placed with a creature who is, again, this is all assumption because you don't know who this lady was. Someone Mm. who loves them. Is this their way of like nuancing how your character who was very focused and was full of hate and it was very sad. Is this their way of showing now it's this creature who's full of love and appreciation and owes her entire life to this other person now has to transform this creature who was born of hate and malice and is teamed up with that type of force to see how you can change a life with that type of like dissonance between love and affection and hate and malice. So there's, there's some narrative elements there that like, I think that there's some type of a, of a story or sometimes not a story, but some type of narrative that they're trying to drive out there. Um, depending on how you look at it, the game. Um, I think that regardless of how you look at it, I don't think this is like a straight up story. I think Shadow of the Colossus would probably be defined best as like a parable than anything else I, because yeah. it has it has like a really defined purpose, very defined story. I'm, I'm really glad you said that because that's something that I had in my notes. Is this feels much less like you know a, a more traditional narrative, and this is more of a myth. Um, mm. You know, this is. You could absolutely see this being a story that's passed down to explain some sort of, you know, why the world is in the state that it's in or some sort of natural phenomenon. Um, It definitely feels like there is a colossal, I keep using that word in this game and I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, But there's this, this huge shift about the state of the world at the beginning of the game and the state of the world at the end. And... It feels like um, the events of the game are is the myth that's passed down to sort of explain why that change happened. Um, you know, a parable, absolutely, I think, is another good way to, to, to look at it. Um, but it's not, you know, Wander and um, the girl and the, the, the village chieftain, I think, are less full characters and more, you know, representative of, of larger ideals, um, which yes. I think makes 
them, you know, wander easier to, to, uh, associate with, you know, he's a representation of, of drive, determination, the willingness to sacrifice. Um, those are, those are relatable feelings and they play very well into the narrative of the game and what you experience as you go through it with them. Yeah, hundred percent. And like I said earlier with, you know, the, the parallel between this and, um, uh, Majora's Mask. One thing that I had wrote here mm-hmm. in my notes is that um, the game, like I said, I touched before, it deals with grief, but like the way that this story structures grief, it's like, it's not about the fact of losing someone. It's getting stuck, never moving forward. And if you don't, that's just going to cause you more pain, not only to you, but those around you. Because the village, like you said, the, the chief village chief and the, the guards not representative of just who they are in the character the representative of a larger portion the representative of the entirety of the nation that he's representing so that when when a death had occurred in his life he you can't just run from it and you can't bargain with it because ultimately you're just going to end up hurting yourself and then with shadow of the colossus in this game and wonders failure in the game all even though he quote unquote succeed in his mission his mm-hmm. failure, we can learn from what he did in this. We can take the lesson of, um, you know, anger and focus and drive. While those things can be powerful, powerful forces, they don't lead to anything but, you know, inevitable downfall or blah, blah, blah. Like some other, like you said, a parable or a myth would be able to tell us and teach us and would be implemented in society at large. And it's so cool to think about it in that way, because think about the impact that this game has had on culture, not just like yeah. the story itself, but just the way this game was created and the story that's told and how influential it's been. And then think about how this game was structured to tell a story that would be similar to like a myth or something that would be very influential in culture. It's such a, it's such a cool parallel to draw. I love that. Agreed. And I don't think it's a coincidence. You know, I, like we said at the very beginning, it's very easy to wrap your head around the narrative of this game. Um, what makes it so appealing is that you can get into it very quickly and you know, you don't have to read a thousand pages of lore. You know, you pretty much relate to these archetypes right from the beginning. Um, I think that's part of the reason why it became such a massive success, despite being a really kind of, for the time, um, unconventional and and art arty, high-minded sort of thing, you know, um, that you wouldn't think would appeal to a lot of people, and yet it does. I agree. I think that, like... There's just, there's just power in narrative-focused games that you don't get in games that are built around a scheme or around an element. When you, you focus just on a world and a story, you're just always going to have just a, a more powerful... <laughs> I, I don't know a good way to say it, but you're just it's going to be more effective and the things that really move us emotionally are just going to have like the strongest impact on us, like standing through time. Like I said, this game has glaring issues with the movement. The combat is not that advanced. It's a very simple, Mm -hmm. straightforward, easy game to play, but it is so impactful and just maintains its, its place as one of the best games of all time. In my opinion. 
Easily. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. You know, the amount of restraint shown, you know, the amount of things that aren't in this game that allow people playing it to bring their own experiences to it. And, you know, it, it, I think Shadow of the Colossus probably feels very different to every person who plays through it. Um, it the images are so evocative and so immediately understandable and relatable, wrapped up in a very strange story <laughs> that you have to do a lot of work on your own to make those pieces fit. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, it's one of the best things that happened, that's happened to video game writing, you know, in, in the history of this medium, like bar none. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just some questions like I wanted to, I wanted to touch on in relation to this game. Cause I feel like we've hit the narrative like top to bottom and, you know, we've, we've mm -hmm. discussed mostly, you know, I don't, I don't really think we need to get into like discussions about like graphics and things like that. Cause this game does, it's, it's not a, you know, you're not going to be able to see the pixels and wonders eyes. It's not the, the look of this yeah, game is the world at itself. And I think we've done a good job of explaining that. Yeah, um, for sure. When this game came out, um, it launched at a like a $60 price tag. There wasn't any DLC for it. It was just like a, a really standard game. And I think that I wanted to ask, like, obviously with games today, we have we have strayed completely away from the type of game that this is, as, as far as like live service and finding ways to stretch the dollar out mm -hmm. for like every every way that we can. But like with this game, um, <clears throat> do you feel like if you're just looking at this straight from like a gameplay time perspective, what do we say? We put like probably only took me six and a half, seven hours to to power through yeah. this game. Six to but eight. I, that's that's ballpark, right? I never feel like when I play a game like this, it impacts me so heavily. I never feel like I I missed out on that money. Like even if I paid sixty bucks for this game, which I definitely didn't. I probably I think I spent like fifteen bucks on it on just for this version of it. Definitely yeah. a good a great like price per dollar on entertainment. But even at sixty dollars, if you've never played this game before and it like just came out and if they remastered it for PS five, I don't think it would be sixty bucks. It'd probably like forty, but like this is a game that's heralded as one of the best games of all time. While the, the ending is wacky and weird. I think that there's mm -hmm. a lot of like, like we've discussed narrative elements that kind of wrap it up in a neat bow, but like how do you, long story short is like, what do you, how do you feel like the value to, to money dollar ratio is in this game? Keeping in mind that like this game was a, it's for sure a passion project. Yeah. I, it's I was thinking about this before recording and like I had a hard time answering it because, you know, I, w I would say that if $60 is like, you know, the entry fee for this game, that is absolutely, I think, reasonable. Um, if you go into it knowing that this is just going to be like, you know, an incredible story regardless of how long it takes to get through it. I don't know. I, uh, if you get into a point where you're trying to calculate, like, how much am I spending per hour 
on, you know, <laughs> a, a, a video game. It, it, touch, touch grass, that, man. Yeah, that's why I framed the question as like, knowing that like narrative elements are like really important to to you focusing on it like at it from that perspective because yeah. it, it really like you can't f- this is one of those games where it's like and we'll we'll go like into the this question as well because it kind of ties in here this game hits every mark that it's trying to make it is made for a very specific reason and it does exactly that it's very intentional with the the way it's designed, mm-hmm. we talk about how tum or wander like tumbles over and takes fifteen seconds to get up. We talked about how he's clumsy in combat and how there's only two or three different mechanics in the game with the between the sword and the horse and the bow. Like it's very intentional and tight around those mechanics. So, given that, like, do you feel obviously the value is there, but do you feel the game was like hit the nail on its head for what it was trying to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, you know, it's a narrative triumph. Um, It makes me a little bit sad to see that, you know, there are, I think that the only sign that the developers weren't completely confident um, in the package that we're presenting is some tacked on extra modes that I don't think needed to be there and cheapen the overall experience. Like having a time attack in this game seems so completely you know, it doesn't, it clashes with the tone completely. You know what I mean? It'd be like trying to like speed run a sad movie. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, so I, I, I have nothing to back this up, but I'm pretty sure that those sort of extra modes were added late in development and it was hedging their bets that like people wanted to see more value out of this game. Um, and I think the narrative you know, the quality of the narrative stands on its own without those kind of like extra frills. Yeah, I agree. And with that, I, I really don't have any extra to add because we've kind of touched on those things too. With that in mm-hmm. mind, you know, whenever this game first came out, obviously this was a, this was a sequel, but in terms of like when it came out, came out four years after Ico originally released. Do you think this game was created for that crowd? Or do you think this game was intended as a way to draw in a new audience? Like, who do you think this game was for whenever it came out? Because I, I put some thought yeah. into this question before, and I had a really hard time, like, swallowing who the the core audience for this game really was. I couldn't, like, put my finger right on it. Because we're, yeah. we're in the middle we're I, in the I, middle of the PS2 life cycle where you're, like, drenched in RPGs mm-hmm. and lots of hack and slashes and weird shooters. And this is just – it just defies the, the land that it's in. Yeah. I think it, it – you know, there's a lot of things that came together at the right time where you're right. This is the peak of the PS2 life cycle, and there were a lot of genre conventions that were still being formed. So I think the market – you know, in general was more receptive to something a little bit out there. Um, I, you know, to answer the first part of your question, I don't think that this game was made with the assumption that people playing it had played Ico. Um, you know, gotcha. it works as, as a standalone narrative um, and doesn't require... What, I don't know how big of a hit Ico was when it first came out. I know that there was a renewed interest in the team and 
its other projects like after Shadow of the Colossus, but I don't know how much of an impact it had when it first uh, when it first released. Um, you know, I I think this is if not aimed at a <coughs> one of the most accessible games that we've we've covered on this show where you know even if video games haven't been your thing before maybe you're you know you're getting into it for the first time this would be one of the first games that I think I would show somebody that highlights a lot of the things that you can do with the medium without being you know technically demanding or super super difficult or have a lot of like RPG concepts that you have to get your head around. Um, it does a really good job stripping things down to their bare elements, where somebody picking up a controller for the first time in the first few minutes is going to figure out what's going on. Yeah, that's a great, great way to put that. I, I really appreciate that. And speaking specifically about like the accessibility that this game has in gaming, like I know we we talked about like it coming out originally on the PlayStation two back in 2005 and then being put out on the PS three and put on the PS four. You mentioned you played this for this run that we did for the show on PS two. Correct. Correct. Okay. So I played it on the PS four and I just wanted to hearken to the fact again, that I really do. I think that affected the way that I felt about the, the movement because I don't remember those things being as heavily like, stuck in my mind as far as like how clunky things were because we're dealing with mm -hmm. like you said blue point who's intentionally faithful in their remakes and i don't want that the the comments that i made to come off as me like dogging on this game because i think if i were to go back to 2005 2006 2007 michael and replay these games in the element in the ps2 whenever i didn't have any frame of reference for these games that controlled way tighter things like that it's unique because one i don't know if i would have been able to pick out how intentional those movements were to see yes that's the drive home the bond that he's not this wonderful warrior but i also mm -hmm. probably went yeah this this is how a game in this day and age probably controls like it feels like it fits in that ps2 time frame so I, I feel like the maturity factor into the into the day and age has drawn out more meaning for the game, but I do feel like some of the mechanics are a little a little bit more aged. But like I said, I think there's a good there's a nuance there and somewhere in the middle is a happy medium between like the playability of the game and what the game was actually trying to trying to convey. So Yeah. And I I completely And that didn't really affect affect my like review overall because Again, the point of this game was not to have you play a masterful warrior. It was to tell you a, a wonderful story of love and loss and heartache. And it accomplished that regardless of how many times I ran over a cliff or, you know, <laughs> got stuck on a rock in the middle of a field for no reason. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what... uh any any topics that you want to discuss, Max? I know I've kind of gone up and down with with this game. Um, we obviously have talked about a lot of things. Any questions you wanted to aim at aim at me or the audience for for discussion in the Discord? Um, 
So we've talked a lot about how Shadow of the Colossus has um, impacted other games. And a lot of it is in, you know, this sort of moody environments and that this sort of sense of, of you know, a vibe, more or less. Um, do you think that there's something in Shadow of the Colossus that hasn't been, you know, seen in other games that should be? In other words, like, it, let's, let's go beyond just, like, the environments, you know, or, like, the landscapes that I think generally people would cite as, as you know, Shadow of the Colossus inspiration. Um, is there anything else that you wish more games would pull from Shadow of the Colossus? There is. Um, actually, specifically was thinking about this before, before we recorded. And we haven't discussed this yet, but in this game, there is... You could go the whole time in this game, not see these standalone save points. You could not get any more health or any more stamina. But there is a defined way in this game to buff those statistics. They're not mm -hmm. important. They're not at all. I went the whole this whole playthrough and didn't do any of it. And it doesn't affect the game at all. And I wish more games were more comfortable with not pointing anything out. And I, I want to try to, like, in my head, I'm, like, trying to draw, like, a Souls comparison. But even Souls, to a point, is, like, putting statistics in your face and making you focus on mm -hmm. leveling your, your character to be more successful. But I want more games that are very much like, I guess a good example of it would be like Sekiro, where your your only focus is the core mechanics in which you have. And I really think that Shadow of the Colossus is, does a good job of focusing specifically on those mechanics and stacking only those the limited options that you have. And then if you want to go out of your way and break focus from arguably the only thing in the game you have to go searching for it and it's negligible at best. So I wish, I wish the game more games had the ability to build on themselves like shadow of the Colossus does in such a minute way without having to introduce millions of NPCs and characters and mechanics and stuff to explain how those things function. Yeah. I think we, you know, we're coming off the end of an era of like a maximalist approach to, to game development or game design where it's like how many different mechanics and systems and, and features can we like cram into one game, you know, and that's like GTA clones, that's stuff like far cry, you know, we're like horizon every game. <laughs> yeah. Like let's throw a fucking crafting system in everything, regardless of whether or not it makes sense. Just let's give everybody a thousand different like resources to collect and like an economy and all this kind of shit. And I think we're starting to see a return to more focused, you know, not to the extent of Shadow of the Colossus, but more thoughtful kind of, let's pick out two or three things that the player is going to get very, very good at. Let's focus on those things and let everything else kind of fall away. But yeah, I, I completely agree that that's like a master stroke. And when I think of all the small things that could have been added to Shadow of the Colossus that would deter from the experience, like a mini-map. Like, mm. you could, yeah. it would fundamentally change everything. Um, you know, when I think of all the, the 
like really smart choices of like, you know, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not going to add in, you know, RPG or like stat building or anything. Even when you can increase your health, who knows by how much? You're never given any numbers. You see the bar increase like a little bit and who ba- fucking Barely knows at all, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so like, true. There's such an element of mystery by letting, you know, a, there's a lot of fuzzy kind of guesswork that you have to do about what is actually changing in your character. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that, that I wish more games were willing to let things be mysterious. Yeah, I think I think a great way to, like, frame it in terms of actually development is, like, focus specifically on only the elements your character in the game would need to control. Mm-hmm. Wander only needs to control his horse. He needs to use a sword. He needs to climb. He doesn't need to worry about what his ADP is, whatever the fuck that means. He doesn't need to worry <laughs> worry about his vitality because regardless of how much health he has made left... It. <laughs> we almost made it I'm an sorry. entire episode without ragging on DS2. We came this fucking close. <laughs> but he does he doesn't care about how much health he has because he will die doing what he's trying to do. Like focus mm-hmm. on the character that you're building for your world and only the things that they're going to care about at the at the core of the mission of the game and i think that that would be a wonderful place for developers to start and get a great like starting point for how we can bring games back to this level of like narrative connection agreed i i 100% agree with that yeah um man that was a that was a good question i appreciate that a lot <laughs> I brought up a really good point I hadn't considered. So, um, quick question. Let's, uh, I know we've beat this game to death right now. We're running on like two hours of time. So let's, uh, we'll move into like the, the last bit of this. Mm-hmm. If you give your recommendation for this game, just a couple sentences. And I, I like to do this just because it lets you like reframe. What do you think about this game? If you were to try to sell it to someone, how would you describe it? And what would be like your closing statements, your, your last pitch to the jury on it? Um, I, if I had to like sell this game, I would say this is an absolutely gorgeous game that made me feel like shit. You should play it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> this, ga- this game fucking hurt my soul and made me feel like a murderous piece of shit and I cried at the end but god damn it you better play it too <laughs> oh dude I stared at the floor for 10 minutes the first time I finished this game I would boot it up right now if I were you <laughs> well I mean that's a that's quite the endorsement I guess <laughs> <laughs> sold sold oh man if, if you're looking for depression, buddy, have I got a game for you. <laughs> yeah, and it, see, the thing is, though, it's not, like, entirely wrong because, like, I like, I like games that make me, like, feel different ways. I know apparently, like, the mm. larger scope of the gaming computer community doesn't like emotion or depth in their games. <laughs> Obviously, be, looking at the reaction to Last of Us 2, sorry, you're too inept to understand that game. But 
it's true. Like, and this game just hits you in all those ways. Yes, I'm sorry if I offended. Actually, I'm not sorry. That game is amazing. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know. This game tells a wonderful story in a wonderful way, and it makes you question your decisions and any game that can, or any medium at all, if whether it's a book or a game or a TV show that can trick you into pouring this much of yourself into it and question yourself every step of the way is worth you taking the time to play. So, or dedicating yeah. yourself to. So I completely, you know what? I think when it comes to movies, you know, TV shows, video games, um, you know, the, the idea of like a challenging narrative gets thrown around a lot or like a controversial narrative. And generally that just means that like, you know, uh, there's a bunch of blood and swearing and shit. Um, <laughs> and Shadow of the Colossus, I think actually is a challenging narrative where you're forced to kind of sit with it a little bit and mull it over. It's not laid out for you. And so what yes. you do with this story requires a lot of work. And I'm hoping if... You know, if somebody's listening to this who hasn't played Shadow of the Colossus, go out and try it. And then, like, look for other, like, quote-unquote challenging, like, pieces of work. What, you know, either, you know, books, movies, things that generally get a reputation for being, like, a little bit out there. You know, I, if you came away from Shadow of the Colossus feeling something, there's a lot of other, um, you know pieces of media out there that can give you that same kind of feeling. So if this is like an intro into um, more difficult or more challenging art forms, then I think, you know, that's, that's a great opportunity, I think. That's a great way to put it. I am very glad you said that. I, and like just comparing this game to like other games this time, I don't want to belabor this point because I'm trying to trying to get to some sense type of an outro here, but like very, very strong way to make you feel things. And like you said, it's if you can find something that's whether it's divisive or not isn't important. So don't I wouldn't so much look for that. It's more so about how challenging like mentally it is. There might be divisive topics yeah. in it. But the divisiveness is something you feel internally. So, like, I know I just brought up The Last of Us, but, like, that's divisive in opinion. This game is, it makes you feel like you just, uh, did I make the wrong decision? Am I doing the wrong thing <laughs> for the right reasons? And, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, well, we'll talk about it on other episodes coming up, too. But, like, it's a, that's, a, that's a great point. So, yeah. all in all, you would give a recommendation on this? Like you would say, 10 Absolutely. out of 10, bye. Oh my God, yeah. Like, it again, can't be overstated how important this game is. Like, absolutely recommended. Well, I'm glad you feel that way, Max. And I feel very much the same way. However, oh, there are other people out there that don't quite <laughs> feel the same way that we do about this game. How and this now it's time. Sneak up on me. <laughs> <laughs> it is time for my favorite part of the show uh, Second opinions Nice opinion Just one tiny problem with it So um, It may come as no surprise to you This one is relatively difficult To source 
horrible reviews without digging mm-hmm. into like shit user scores. Um, right. However, we were able to pull some. Um, I'm going to, so I'm just going to tell you what the Metacritic score is, but I would like you to guess what the user score of this game is. So this is based on the PS4, but the reason I pulled that one is because when I pulled the PlayStation 2 version of this, it actually mirrored it pretty close. Um, so I, okay. it didn't, there wasn't really a lot of variation in that. The meta score for this game overall, as far as like reviews, were 91, which pretty good. That's pretty yep. damn high. Um, it seems about if right. You had, if you had to guess what the user score for this game was, what would you say it would be? Um, I'll say 85. See, that's where I was going to put it too. But it is like mm-hmm. shockingly low. It's like a it's seven point eight seventy eight percent, really. Which, yeah, which is crazy when you think about like how popular this game is. Um, so I I chose a couple of these reviews to read. Some of these or, there's only two. I wanted to keep it short. One of these is a critic review, and it was the lowest critic review I could find, at a sixty five percent. And then there's a user review that I want to read that actually like the depth of, of conversation that they provided about the game. Uh, so I want to do this one. So this is from Riot Pixels. This is a critic review, not a user review. Mm-hmm. 65%. The best way to experience Shadow of the Colossus. Play a couple of levels at a friend's or use the share play function. This game was a hit in its time on its original platform. But let's face it, we all moved on, and now the remaster feels archaic, especially in its gameplay. 65%. How does that make you feel, Max? (laughs) There's a couple of red flags right off the bat here. (laughs) Calling them levels, I think, is so reductive. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. That was the first thing that I thought of. (laughs) Like, they're not real. It's not a level. Like, I don't know. This seems like it's written by somebody who doesn't quite... You know, that I that seems kind of like a giveaway immediately when somebody's <laughs> talking about video games that doesn't really know video games when they say shit like, oh, yeah, did you get the high score or whatever? It's like, no, man, I'm not playing fucking Pac-Man. Um, and the thing is that, like, I I don't know if I would call it archaic because it's not like it was, you know it was so out of its own time and place that it didn't play like anything else at the time. Like, you know, when you say archaic, like what time period does this represent to you? (laughs) There's shit now that plays exactly like this. You know, we've talked about a bunch of modern games that ape a lot from, from shadow of the Colossus. I picked this one so, specifically because the the type of review it gave is it it looks like they overlooked the narrative depth of the game itself. Obviously, one they call it at levels that just goes to show that they were not paying attention to the segments between and how those things mm. connect together to create a a vibrant empty breathing world, but also the fact that like they looked at this strictly as a game where you went from place to place accomplished goal to goal to get to the end to beat the game like if you're playing shadow of the colossus just to accomplish and add it to like your trophies mm. like you're gonna miss the point of this game 100 percent. Yeah. it's archaic it's- because you've looked at the game like that the game itself 
there's a reason it's highly renowned as one of the most memorable and best games of all time. And this guy overlooked that entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, you're right. Reductive. It's just pretty <laughs> reductive. So thanks for nothing. Riot pixels. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I'm gonna like we're gonna get like review bombed by one of these companies or something just because we're. But guess what? You just review bombed you know things what? that I love. So, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> um, so this next one is a user review, and I chose this one because a lot of these are like zero out of ten controls suck, and they're just like they're mad about something. But I feel like this one mm. has a there's good information here. It's a little lengthy, but it's worth it. It's from Sneaker Thief. They give it a 4 out of 10. I can see why some people consider this to be a great game. The setting, the music, and the colossi are all well-crafted. The battles can be pretty engaging, and there's a sense of reward that comes with taking each one down. In that regard, there's some enjoyment to be had with this game. However, despite the praise this game gets, I wouldn't recommend it. In fact, I have a hard time enjoying myself for the majority of the campaign. The controls are horrible. You have little to no control over the camera, and I found myself frustrated with these two mechanics more than anything else. Navigation is also poor. You may be in the right direction, but you still get lost without knowing where you made a wrong turn. It also doesn't help that your horse handles like crap. In regards to the Colossi, once you figure out how to defeat one, the act of actually taking it down is pretty simple and not very fun. This basically sums up the entire experience for me lacking in fun. If you're looking for something different than your typical open world action adventure, this might be something you'll enjoy, but I would warn those who are considering picking this up due to high praise of the game has gotten over the years that this game is an acquired taste. I'd argue that the gameplay is the game's weakest feature and the game is not fun to play. So what's the point? There's a lot to chew okay. on here. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know what? I think he's got kind of a point in that, like, the entertainment value for this game isn't going to come from the gameplay. That's absolutely just true. Um, mm. A lot of the frustrations that, he thinks, that I think he brings up are intentional, especially the idea of, like, you know, going in the right direction, but you're going the wrong way. Well, you're in an uncharted, like, forgotten land. You know, pathfinding isn't going to be easy. That's what makes it kind of an adventure, you know. I think it, it's especially tough to go back to this game if you're used to, you know, just picking out a waypoint on a map and going to that. Yes. Um, so there may be a little bit of, like, a disconnect there um but if you're the kind of person who like you know wants to play something that has you know is easy to pick up and put down that's really snappy controls then this isn't that and you can't make it that um yeah. i would encourage you know the person who wrote this review to power through for like a little bit longer because I think we all felt that way, at least at the beginning of the game, um, you know, where everything feels floppy. But, you know, it, there's a sense of, of mastery once you get more used to the controls. And the narrative payoff, I think, um, part of it is in due to how difficult it is to, to navigate this world, to, to go through that struggle. Um, and if you don't have that, then you don't have 
like the emotional payoff at the end. So valid points, but you know, suck it up. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, my problem with this is like he clearly, once again, this individual overlooks the point of this game. This entire thing, there's not one mention of how deep or engaging the narrative is. So and he, he goes out of his way. And the reason I bring that up, he does go out of his way to point out the good things in the game near the beginning. But that's not anything that he mentions. So this this reviewer never once made the connection that there was a, a deeper narrative implication that made the game even stronger. Also, when it came it comes to talking about the Colossus, another point to be made about that, he clearly overlooks the fact that he says that there's a, a sense of great reward from beating the Colossi, but that's the part of the game where I don't feel rewarded by. I feel like I've fucked up like every, every time I did it. Yeah. So it was like there was a little bit of a sense of like reward in how you know, the fact that I finally overcame it, but like overall it was not a, a great feeling whenever I did that. It's not, so it's not triumphant. No. Um, so yeah, you know, this is, and we say it a lot. You kind of have to meet the game where it is. And I think if you find yourself, you know, playing a game that you're not exactly clicking with, it's worth asking, you know, something that we talk about a lot is what is the game setting out to do? And I think yep. that gives you a framework for trying to decide, like, okay, it, maybe it wants me to be a little bit frustrated by this, or maybe this should be hard. Um, and that can help to alleviate, I think, a little bit of the, the sort of frustrations that you can feel. Sometimes the game is just poorly made, and you think, okay, I know what they're trying to do, but they're doing it poorly. And fair enough, bad games exist. But right. I think that's a valuable question to ask from the outset is what, what is it that the creators are trying to, to put in front of me um, and go from there. And I think part of the reason why this review misses is, you know, I don't think there's any effort to ask that question. It's just like, you know, a sort of one-sided, well, this isn't what I like in a video game, so. Yeah, for sure. Now, again, taking into account, this is, we had to reach for these reviews. So, like, we were in the user oh, section yeah. and everyone's going to be opinionated. But still, I think that if you're, if you make an attempt to have like that in depth of review, you got to be willing to look at it from all aspects and really, like you said, meet the game where it is and feel like they failed there. So, <laughs> sneaker thief, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> uh, get wrecked, bitch. No, but for real, like I actually, I appreciate reviews like that. Like they actually give the game credit from this, their sense of where they met the where they met the game at. They give mm -hmm. they give appreciation where it's due. So appreciate I appreciate the review. So, um, well, Max, we are we oh have approached God. we have approached the end of the show. I have learned things about you today. I didn't know you hated horses so much. Um, and, you know, honestly, this horse controlled so poorly that I could see why. Maybe this is this is what fueled it even more. I know you went in swinging, it's, but poor Bojack possible. Horseman. What did he do to deserve this? <laughs> to be fair, Bojack Horseman also hates Bojack Horseman. <laughs> That's a good point. That's actually the point of that show. So, um no, I, I've had a lot of fun talking about this game today. This game is like 
this was one that was like on the list at the beginning that we we're like we'll eventually get around to talking about this so yeah i think um, it's such a building block for everything that we love that this is a good one to to really break down yeah and i i don't think it's any secret that there's probably a lot of other ones out there that feel the same way so um mm-hmm. i think i think this is a good a good one to add to the to the backlog and have people coming coming to as they discover the show and whatnot so uh couple of things i wanted to touch on first off like for real all everyone out there listening like legit thank you for the reviews on the show and jumping in the discord it's kind of been kind of cool to like see the the conversations flowing about the games as they've as they've been coming out i know we're only a monthly podcast uh quite honestly i don't know if i could afford any more time to do this more than once a month Uh, (laughs) and i need time to really like digest these games i don't want to play these games for the sake of just recording i want to like remember these games or or experience them so to speak i know that sounds cheesy but like in order to bring quality and uh, content to the show it's important that we take the times to like dedicate so uh once a month is about the best we can (laughs) we can do on that front um but like for real thanks for the engagement like it's been great the link to the discord's down below if you still want to jump in and and talk to us about what's going on um upcoming episodes things like that um and all the reviews that have been left on itunes and the surrounding platforms have been fantastic um and it's been really cool to see all like the different experiences that everyone's comes whether it's from like Elden Ring or Sekiro or any of these other ones it's been absolutely not only humbling to to get opinions and you know different lifestyles coming to the show but also like just the wide birth that we've covered from like Metroid to Resident Evil to to Elden Ring and Sekiro to the Shadow of the Colossus there's just all we're just all over the place and it's cool to see like all fandoms like coming together and uniting under uh, one roof just to discuss good quality games. So really Absolutely. appreciate, really, really appreciate the, the interaction, uh, thus far. Just again, I want to shout out the, uh, Max for, you know, doing this with me. It's been a- an absolute pleasure. Every time we do this, it's, it's, it's always a good time running late into the night discussing video games. So <laughs> thank you again. You're too <laughs> kind, with- Michael. You're too kind. <laughs> I'm upset you shaved your mustache, but you know I'll always have the sticker of your face with the the big bushy one, so it'll be okay. <laughs> well, maybe I'll maybe we'll make a just a, a mustache sticker, and I can wear that. <laughs> there we go. Look at that new merch ideas every <laughs> every second. <laughs> uh, speaking of, if you want to get yourself any of the merch, it's over available on Thirteen Palm Trees. All spelled out. Thirteen Palm Trees. There's some stuff there. Everything comes pretty quick. Everything's reasonably priced. There's uh, discount codes in our Discord, so jump in there and get get some of that stuff, and we'll be able to uh, get some merch into your hands. It, it helps us out a lot. All that money gets flown right back into the studio and the show and you know buys us new upgraded equipment things like that um so and then check out the website too uh 13palmtrees.com that's just where we have like all the the things under our banner all the podcasts we're doing all the youtube stuff that we're doing the streams that we're doing we're just growing all the time or we're bulking up our new studio as we speak so uh it's been a been a lot of growing pains lately a lot of things going on but we appreciate you guys sticking with us and uh continuing to listen to the show it's been an absolute uh pleasure 
and Max has made it a lot easier. He's the probably the best co-host I could have asked for. So appreciate Aww. him once again. And if you guys get in the Discord, be sure to call him a bitch. He appreciates that. <laughs> so. That's true. I'm into that. <laughs> I am so excited. Listen, I I want there to be one person out there that finds this episode, joins the Discord, tags at Max and says bitch and then leaves. Bitch. I, I, I need be, that I, to happen. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> that is not violating community standards. It is completely welcome. <laughs> Who doesn't love to start their day with a random stranger's hostility? <laughs> right? I mean, what else is... Uh, you've been on Reddit. Get used to it. I mean, come on. <laughs> God, man, when you put it like that... <laughs> oh man but but anyway thank you everyone for listening and we'll be back with some more content on some more divisive and fun games in the coming future uh so max you know what i'm taking this one from you why don't you give us the uh our signature sign off here for all our wonderful listeners have a post-game content day I hated that. I'm Thanks, gonna kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good night. <laughs>